0: Today is Friday, June 9th, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Nate. The fool has said in his heart, let me join Clubhouse and talk to a bunch of Christians about stuff I don't know anything about. Um, And also, there is no God. So um, I'm not saying we need to add that to biblical canon or anything, but oh, goodness. What have we got for you in store today? Well, the first half, (laughs) the first third... (laughs) is uh talking about church tradition like catholic church tradition how it is not necessary like by, i mean, by virtue of a fact like tradition for your salvific theology is not necessary otherwise people in the first ch- century without 2000 years of tradition on top of it would be in hell because they wouldn't be saved because they wouldn't have lived long enough to know what church tradition happened 500 1500 years after they lived so by way of that it is not salvific um then we talk about apostolic succession, and we uh, we fight back and forth with Catholics for uh, a long time. Man, they just keep coming. Um, to be fair, I did go on a little Catholic rant, but they wouldn't know that unless they're omniscient. Anyways, so um, we, we talk with Catholics and have a, uh, you know, no one really yells. So to our credit, no one really yells and completely loses their, loses their stuff. Uh, then, uh, see, so yeah, it's like a Protestant Catholic debate day. Then some crazy guy that thinks Jesus just wants us to have herb gardens and I guess just live until we die or, or something like that. And there's no spirituality about it. Um, nothing, nothing at all. He just wants us to like be decent people and farm tomatoes or, or something like that. I don't really know. You tell me then another guy comes in not believing any of it, avowed atheist. Um, you know, I don't believe your God. I don't believe any of this stuff, but, uh, where it talks about treasures in heaven, what does that mean? What kind of treasures? So we go on this arduous journey Because, you know, the Bible only describes so much stuff about heaven. So we go through everything the Bible does describe about heaven. Ultimately, he wants to know, you know, what are treasures? And we're like, well, you know, the Bible talks about this. The Bible talks about this. The Bible talks about this. So he's like, oh, so you don't really know. So there's so many interpretations. So what you're saying is, uh, you know, you have clues in the Bible, but it's open to interpretation. So you can basically make your religion mean anything you want it to. Um, that's how I read it, which I'm pretty sure is how he meant it. So he's trying, trying to take an obscure point, something the Bible does not speak a lot on about the things in heaven and what rewards are. Um, that's like asking, you know, well, the Bible says there's going to be streets paved with gold. And then you say, okay, that's what the Bible says. The streets will be paved with gold and, or like gold. But then you say, okay, what is the metric ton amount of gold? The streets in heaven will be paved with, paved with, I, I don't know. Like, how much all the gold weighs? I I don't know. Um, And then they say... Okay, well you 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 know you don't really have a handle on your religion. You could basically interpret your religion to say anything you want. It's like, wait, you're getting that from asking about how much gold weighs in heaven, or the actual conversation about what rewards in heaven means. Like, no, you cannot say that. If you want to say something like, hey, what's the ultimate point of your Bible about salvation and redemption to to your your creator through the death burial resurrection of Jesus Christ? You want to know about that? That's really hard to mess up the interpretation because the Bible is full of that. The entire account of Christ, all the the New Testament, uh, you know, it's all pointing about that. So, you want to know information about what Christians actually believe and what Christianity actually is, and points to is Jesus. It's the head of the church. It's God in flesh. So we have all kinds of unambiguous stuff about that because that's utmost important. That's very, very important. But if you want to know something very obscure um, or like, you know, why don't we know exactly the age of the earth? Even even like young earth creationists, uh, they may say six to seven thousand years. It's like, well, is it six or is it seven? Is it six thousand in one day? Um, Is it 6,100 years? See, your Bible doesn't answer you. I guess you can interpret your whole religion, including God, however you want. That's just obstinate and obtuse and just, ah, makes me feel a certain way. You know, I have been under the weather for, like, freaking three months. I can tell. I I get a little more impatient uh, with these ridiculous conversations, in my humble opinion. Um, Hopefully I'll be better soon. I don't know if that's a good thing I have less tolerance for this. But, goodness, it's extra frustrating when I'm... uh, When I'm sick. So, everyone, with that in mind, check out the Ask a Christian book on Amazon to learn how even when we have these conversations, you can still have a civil dialogue with people who are obtuse and ridiculous. Um... Um, yes. (laughs) So do that. You can also click in the donate link to support this podcast, sharing gospel with these people. Um, so no matter what they talk about, we always try to bring it back to the gospel and be like, look, treasures in heaven, I don't care. If someone, if it's a material thing, if people have two extra golden, golden couches and I only have one because I wasn't as good as Christian as them or whatever, I don't care. The point is get to heaven. So if you're saying you're an atheist and you don't believe any of this and you think it's all sky daddy fairy tales, um, that's your problem it doesn't matter what reward in heaven means you're getting none of it you're going to be in the lake of fire no one wants that for you um hopefully no one wants that for you i certainly don't jesus certainly doesn't so today is the day of repentance repent believe the gospel and then i don't know toy around with the idea what does rewards mean is it spiritual i mean christ being redeemed to your creator having eternal life that's the greatest reward of all nothing's going to compare to that so that's your reward um and if, if you get a slightly bigger room or house to hang out in wherever you, you hang out in heaven uh, versus somebody else, you won't care, I promise. Um, anyway, so all of this is just kind of ethereal, abstract. It doesn't matter. Um, step one, become a disciple of Christ. Repent. Ask for eternal life. Ask him to make you born again. Stop doing what you knew was wrong. Repent. Go the other direction and be forgiven. Be redeemed. Now let's talk about rewards in heaven and how much gold weighs on the streets uh, in heaven. Anyway, also you can check out the Ask a Christian store. Grab a t-shirt, coffee mug, mouse pad even. To support this broadcast, we greatly appreciate it. And as we've learned from this discussion today, oh my lord, people need Jesus. Um, so share these links and we'll see you later. Have a good weekend. Um, so, interesting coincidence. Um, gosh, Catholic people um peace be upon you all um you know facebook wars continue but it made me think of something else like kind of how i think like you know there's only like christian and pharisee no matter what people say they are they're they're basically a pharisee because they'll like focus on every way to like counter christ or every jot and every tittle and completely miss the point of the bible by focusing on minutia that is wholly irrelevant so christian or pharisee there is no other option um in my tongue in cheek but probably pretty accurate way um same thing like ca- catholic or atheist. Um, whenever or not necessarily atheists, but the, the class of people or the type of people, whenever they talk about, Oh, are you up here? Yeah? Anyways, like whenever people act like they're so they, they have to have peer reviewed papers to get out of bed in the morning, they're like, Oh, you can't trust your gut. How do you trust your intuition? You say like, you know, because they're trying to counter us saying like, you know, we believe in the spiritual world and we have faith and, you know, we can trust ourselves, We can trust our existence. Like, you know, we have pretty decent judgment. And we also feel that, you know, we have the Holy Spirit living with us. And, you know, the spiritual world is a thing. And they're like, oh, no, you can't trust yourself at all. How do you know you're not brainwashing yourself? You could totally be brainwashing yourself. I can't trust myself to do anything. I'm like, you're ridiculous. Similarly, Catholic people, perhaps not all, but goodness, a lot of the ones I've been talking with on the Facebook crusades. Um, last night, this guy just like came out with a vengeance. Um and I mean, I did say the Pope was probably the Antichrist, um, hopefully also tongue in cheek, but I don't know, maybe not. But anyway, the guy's just like, oh, you can't call yourself, <laughs> it was like the uh, Catholic Chris. He's like, oh, you can't say you're a Christian, you're a Protestant, so you can't be a Christian. I'm like, <laughs> I can hear Chris and the Trinity in the back of my mind. But, um, anyway, he's, he's like, a, oh, you can't, you can't trust yourself to read scripture, sola scriptura, blah, 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 who also messed it up the way he meant, the way he said it is, is not correct, but still. Um. He just won this tirade and remind me of several other Catholic people who who talk about tradition. Right. And it's it's they I mean, they may say uh, they may play it down when they talk to us. But man, when when you catch them on a roll, they really worship tradition. And anyway, so it's like, oh, how do you know this? How do you know the gospel? Yeah. Jesus says you must you know, repent and believe the gospel. What is the gospel? How do you know the gospel? I'm like by reading, bro, I have eyes. Like, you know, do you not believe it where God says, you know, he will live with you and, you know, you will, like, you'll be led by God, you'll be influenced and nudged by God? Um, but there's like, oh, you have to have tradition, you have to have the church fathers, you have to have a rich tradition. I'm like, why would, you, how do you need man made stuff? And they're like, oh, you can't possibly, you hearken back to how I can't possibly trust myself, I'll brainwash myself. Like, it just sounded like the, the more theistic version of that babble. It's like, can you not read a book? Like if someone says, Jesus, he's going to die for your sins. He's going to raise to life. And if you believe that and confess him as Lord, repent, stop doing what's bad, go the other direction and ask Jesus to save you, forgive you, give you eternal life. Like you don't need a thousand years of church tradition to guide you through what that means. Um, And if you do, then God help you. I don't know how you function in society. Do you have a job? Um, Anyway, so that's, that's my rant for this morning. It was infuriating. It's like, goodness, that they is it's like they think you can't function without a bunch of old crusty dudes besides, you know, like, Oh Jesus, he's cool. But let us tell you what he really means. When he says, you know, believe in him and you'll never die. Let us tell you what that really means. Uh, you don't need a thousand years of that. And if you do goodness. Anyway, what are your thoughts on that, Chris? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Sorry. I'm right in
1: the middle of, um, making a, um, avocado toast with, um, roasted garlic tomatoes. So I've been I've been listening, but um anyway, so yeah it's the same old thing. Um, you know, the sacred tradition, and all this other nonsense. And it's like the question then becomes like, okay, so if you're reading the Church Fathers, how are you interpreting them? I yeah, mean right. you're unable <laughs> to read the scripture, clearly. So you're gonna read the Church Fathers are you interpreting them? Is there an interpreter for the interpreter? <laughs> and honestly, their answer is yes, and that is the Pope. And so they're, they're, that's why they've got the Pope, is because he's the interpreter of the interpreters.
0: Glenn, I see your hands raised. I am trying to send you an invite, so maybe it's not uh, maybe it's not working. Chris, can I uh, make you a mod real fast, and you can invite Gwen and see what they have to say? Because it's not working for me. Blessed be clubhouse. So how's your uh, avocado creation going?
1: I mean, pretty good so far. uh, I'm still waiting for my tomatoes to finish roasting. It takes like 30 (laughs) minutes under the broiler, because tomatoes are full of water, and so the key to a really good roasted tomato is you want to get a lot of the water out of it. Yeah. I tried bringing Glenn up. It's not working.
0: Hey brother. Welcome. Good morning. What's up?
2: Oh, nothing much. Just tuning into your show. Cause I like it so much. you know, just, uh, the only thing I had to mention was that I enjoyed that little talk I had yesterday about the laws of logic. I got three yeses from the guy, one for each of the laws of logic. And then after I got the yeses, he said, "Well, my example of a rock doesn't work." So, you know, I rather enjoyed it. So,
0: Lou, how are you doing down there? Is Friday your speaking day? I forget. Did you invite that one guy, Chris?
1: Yeah, I just told you it wasn't working. You know what's up with
0: it. I didn't hear any of that.
1: You can keep going on your Catholic rant. That was very entertaining. It's too bad Steph isn't here.
0: I mean, I, I mean I think I'm done. But I mean, <laughs> that's I mean I mean that's that's it. But I mean I, I just see so many uh so many parallels between I don't know, it's like this this personality type, or what do you even What's, like, the lowest common denominator of, like, human that is? It's, like, people that see, like, you know, kind of, like, uh, akin to people who are glass half-empty people or glass half-full people. It doesn't necessarily matter their views on, like, your religion or what their views are. It's just how they see everything is, like, half-empty, half-full. It's, it's like that. Like, you, you have to have, like, guidance from other people. You can't trust yourself. Like, and, and not, not about specific views, but about everything. It's like you need to be kind of like led instead of be a leader. I like I don't know what type of human you can you can classify that as, but yeah, I, I don't I don't like that. <laughs> but really, you, I mean, you're just you're just adding bureaucracy. You're just adding another layer. It's like, oh, well, how do you interpret the Bible? Oh, through the church tradition. Great. How do you interpret the church tradition through more church tradition? And it's just oh.
1: <laughs> I mean, that, <clears throat> I mean, what you're running into there is the, you know, it's the problem of authority, right? And so when we talk about, you know, sola scriptura, only the scripture, that means a specific thing. It doesn't mean we only read the scripture. What it means, and and they will love to interpret it like that. What it means is that we use the scripture as the only thing that is God-breathed, theonustos, theonustos. Um, you know, that, that that is the final authority for faith and practice, you know, and that's and the, and the funny thing is, if you pin a Catholic down on it, they will agree with that. They have to, because that's what the Catholic Church teaches as well, is that there are no traditions on the same level as the Anustas. And so when Catholics are debating, all you have to do is just keep keep drilling down until you make them make the distinction between tradition and the scripture.
0: I mean, is there, I don't know, I haven't met many middle-of-the-road Catholics that are just, I don't know, it seems like they're either like so unfamiliar with what, you know, their own religion that, you know, they're, they're easygoing, they're too easygoing, they're too easy to talk to because they'll just agree with whatever you say. Like, by faith alone, by Jesus, right? Only Jesus, like, you know, works don't matter at all. They're like, yeah, you said Jesus, that sounds good, sure. I'm like, wow, are you sure you're Catholic? Um, but it's like ones that just have, really don't you know they haven't gone to see it a cdd or whatever the indoctrination school is um like their sunday school but like they, they haven't even done that or they didn't pay attention or something and then there's the other ones that are like so steeped in like indoctrination that you know that it's just like talking to a brick wall Like I, I haven't met many like in between that like know their stuff and you can have disagreements and be like oh okay well that's clearly where we disagree but you know we're also not going to burn you as a witch either
3: um,
4: so, Chris, how did the Mary thing happen with the Catholics? Was it like one guy who pushed it? It was a group of people. Like, how did all that come together?
0: What Mary thing? Like the
4: professional. Like that they, worship, the... that they worship her. That they basically like you know the Catholics basically like worship.
1: Well, they will deny that they worship her, but then when you read their writings, they worship her. <laughs> <laughs> so the official Catholic teaching is that they do not worship Mary. When you read official Catholic teaching, they're literally worshiping Mary. And so they will say one thing and do another. That is, you know, that's their that's their thing. Um, so you can actually read full Catholic writings where they're just like, you know, this veneration of Mary is the same level as what you worship with God. I mean, it's just, well, it's, blatant did, uh, and it's uh, obvious.
5: Yeah, how did they get
1: so, doctrines so it's, men? well, so it's complicated. So in church history, um, one of the doctrines that was at stake in the early four hundreds was the incarnation, you know? And so that culminated in the council of Chalcedon, uh, in 451 AD where they were laying out exactly what they mean by the hypostatic union. Okay. Now, there was a side hustle on there about the status of Mary and who Mary was, and did Mary give birth to God, etc. So they called her—I um, can't remember that, Theot- 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 or the Theocetus or Theotokos or something like that—and um, uh, you know the the God bearer, right? And so the entire thing with Mary came up as part of the incarnation. And then from there, it kind of spiraled out of control. And so it was still pretty decent in the 400s, but then because, because of the controversies with the incarnation and the, the Monophysites breaking off from the church and all this other stuff, like the doctrines of Mary started to become more and more prevalent.
0: Well, let me take this lull to, uh, to say I don't want to sound like I'm uh, completely hating of all Catholics. <laughs> but um, goodness, those conversations are frustrating. So, uh, yeah. Do you, do you guys hear this? Do you hear what I'm dealing with? I have children banging stuff around. I have the dog that's crying for some reason. This, this is my summer. Lord Jesus, let school start soon.
2: A dog may be crying because of its shoes.
3: Uh, So, Chris, I want to give a colloquial version of this. Was it someone was like, you know, she gave birth to Jesus, so she must have been a good vessel to, she must have been really pretty awesome to, she must be almost divine if God chose her and she gave birth to Jesus. Was it like that sort of escalation? Yeah, pretty
1: much. I mean, that's a and it's that's an extremely simplified version of it. But yes, you're not wrong.
0: It's just not mute and let you guys hear all the chaos that's ensuing around me. Hey, Harold. Good morning. What's up?
6: Good morning, y'all. Good morning, good morning, good morning. What's on your mind? Well, believe it or not, but uh, I finally came to the conclusion that Genesis chapter 6 is definitely not talking about angels. (laughs) Funny enough, I never thought I'd see the days.
0: Are you rolling broken glass? What? What is that?
6: <laughs> uh, my keys on my hip. Oh. So
0: how did you come to the conclusion Genesis 26 is not about angels?
6: Um, it's it all. Well, it started from me reading from Genesis one all the way all the way through uh, Genesis chapter ten. Uh, believe it or not and essentially it is so the sons of God there is definitely dealing with the sons of Seth but uh, <clears throat> well no let me take that back. the sons of Seth would be included in that but I I, I would say the sons of Cain are also included in that as well. Um, personally, because there's so much stuff I could, I could, I could go into essentially the, the, put it like this, the, the term giants and, uh, men of renown, mighty men, um, the type of language that's used in that chapter, that chat that, uh, those types of terms and things, uh, are only used towards actual men. But specifically are used towards mighty hunters, uh, famous men over the congregation or over a tribe, over a family, uh, in reference to kings and so on and so forth. Men more so of that stature. Like, uh, for example, Esau had dukes and kings from his lineage. Um, if you read Genesis and First Chronicles, they would be considered giants um, or renowned men. Uh, Nimrod, in fact, was considered a giant. If we read about him in the Septuagint, the scripture actually calls him a giant. Um, who else? Um, Saul would be considered a giant. Wait. Uh,
0: well, real fast, Chris, can you invite Lou? Because someone told me Twitter Spaces is like getting better. So I may try that. Clubhouse sucks. <laughs> I can't invite I'm, anyone. I did not um, invite can, well, Oh, well, I've tried too. But yeah, so when Saul was a giant, like because he was like a little taller than the average guy, but we don't mean like fee-fi-fo-fum, like beanstalk giant, right? Like what do you mean by giant? Like Nephilim, the 30-foot creature things, or like just taller than the average guy, Harold? What do you mean by giant?
6: Yeah, so so again, giant is used in reference to mighty men, kings, uh men of great stature, strong men, great hunters, not not in reference to some type of beanstalk called giant. Sure, sure. Anyone
0: have anything to say about that?
2: Well, it's good that just People stopped believing that they were angels. You know, Hebrews 1 says, you know, God doesn't call any angel the son. So, you know, that's good enough for me to eliminate them. I don't have to look through like 10 chapters to believe that uh, these Nephilim were, you know, human people, you know, and the genealogy of Jesus Christ. You know, uh, Adam is called the son of God. So that puts a foot in the door for, you know, everybody uh, being human, you know, and uh, and uh, also Eve is the mother of all the living. And so, you know, these people are are human. You know, they weren't demons.
0: Oh, Lou, you made it. Congratulations. Do you have anything to say about giants? Really, are, are you not speaking now that you're on stage? <laughs> hey, Catholic, what's up? Are you speaking? Is anyone speaking? I'm still here. All right, Harold. Well,
5: how's I'm your weekend going to be?
0: That.
5: Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I, uh, some atheist was uh, trying to uh, DM me. Oh. He's <laughs> responding. So what's up? Uh, I just have a question. I was speaking to Matt Slick the other day, and he said that apostolic succession uh, only took place in Scripture. Uh, but it ended uh, because the those that received their authority from the apostles, um, they did so only uh, um, because they were there seeing uh, Jesus, you know, walk on earth and uh, preach his message and so forth. So uh, uh, he cited a verse. He I can't remember what verse he cited. Uh, to make his case, Are, would you be familiar with uh, what he was talking about?
0: I would not be familiar with the specific verse he was talking about.
5: It's Acts
1: one.
0: Acts one, what one one, what?
1: No, it's like or the whole one. One twenty something. I gotta go look.
5: Because yeah, it seems to me, even if it's the case that the apostles themselves were to go ahead and appoint someone uh, that saw Jesus you know, walking, talking, and preaching, that doesn't mean that those that they appointed had to do so as well. I don't... At least unless the verse says... The it, verse literally, says that. it literally says so. Do you want me to read? Yes, please.
1: Okay, so this is Acts one twenty-one. Therefore, it is necessary that the men of who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John, until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, You know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them; the lots fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. So, literally, the one of the strictures is that they had to be on earth at the same time as Jesus um, during his entire ministry and following Jesus during his entire ministry. That is the stricture.
5: I see, but that that's referring to the apostles themselves. Um, but what about uh, Matthias and uh, the other apostles? Uh, is I don't see that verse referring to them.
1: It's literally about Matthias.
5: No, no. When I say Matthias, I'm speaking about Matthias uh, going ahead and appointing others, and, and uh, the and the other apostles. That's in scripture.
1: Right. We never exactly. see that. It's never in scripture where they're appointing successors they're anointing elders but they're not appointing successors because if you look at what the first century church was and how it was structured the first century church was not a hierarchical church Um, there was apostolic authority and then once apostolic authority passed away there was the authority of the scriptures and again even though the quote-unquote canon wasn't established until the 350s all Christians knew what was in the canon. It was common knowledge as to which books, because they had the epistles and the gospels, even in the first century. And so, you can even see this in the early church fathers' writings. They knew what the New Testament was, and they knew that it was theonustas.
5: So we see that uh, we see that uh, Matthias was then called an apostle after they chose him. But we see that other people in Scripture were also called apostles. So um, it would seems to me that they were chosen as well. Well, Uh, so then for example um, uh, Timothy Barnabas we see that Timothy went ahead and chose others he had the authority to choose others and therefore those others would have authority And so that's apostolic succession.
1: Yeah, that's not apostolic succession though, that's just choosing other elders. There was tons of elders Um, and, you know, because each church again, there was not a hierarchical church there was individual congregations that had individual elders in those congregations that were chosen from the number of those congregations and there was not always apostolic authority that was appointing those people or even you know followers of the apostles or you know anybody that had any connection to the apostles there were churches that were just completely you know, not added from this quote unquote apostolic authority all the time and churches were dying all the time too. So you see this in revelation where there are churches that have their lampstands taken away, you know, so that, so the church is not a monolith again, this comes from a misunderstanding of what the church actually is. Um, In the scripture, the church is the collection of all who believe Okay, that's all the churches. It's the ecclesia. It's the called out ones. That means everyone who is elect. It does not mean an institution, nor does it mean any kind of apostolic succession, nor does it mean that there is any institution built up of the church, because then the prophecy in Matthew um, 18 about the church um, not, I'm sorry, Matthew 16, about the church not uh, succumbing to the gates of hell would have been false. Because lots of institutional churches fell to the gates of hell, including lots yeah. of Eastern Orthodox, uh, it, most of the Eastern Orthodox Church was destroyed by the Muslims.
5: Um, but I'm still not hearing an answer as to why these particular individuals were called apostles, because again... Oh, there's, there's, oh sorry, I will answer on, that. Hold so hold there on, are two I'm words speaking. for... Hold on, hold on, am not finished getting my question out? Uh, so with regards to Matthias, he wasn't called an apostle until he was chosen by the apostles. Paul himself wasn't called an apostle until Jesus himself chose him as an apostle, even though Paul didn't you know, see Jesus walking and talking and so forth. And so um, with regards to the other apostles that's listed in Scripture, how is it that they uh, gain their authority as an apostle, uh, if not uh, 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 through apostolic succession?
1: Right. So, again, there is no authority. There is no authority conferred by apostolic succession. This is just not something you see in Scripture. Um, What we see with Matthias. Sorry, hold on. I let you finish. What we see with Matthias is that he was added to the twelve. So there was a distinction between apostle, just means messenger. Okay. Apostolos is the Greek word, and it just means messenger. And so we see a difference in scripture between those who were just called messengers and those who were the 12 apostles. And then there is the addition of Paul. Okay. And so Paul wasn't added by apostolic succession. He was directly chosen by Jesus. So if apostolic succession was going to be a thing, then Jesus would have chosen one of the apostles to pass on to Paul. But he didn't. He just he just grabbed him out of the blue and you know knocked him off his horse on Damascus and saved him. Again, this is this is a misunderstanding of the application of what the church is. The church is simply the collection of all of the elect, all of the saints. So like saints in the Catholic Church is another thing that's that's whacked out, is that every believer is a saint. And then when we say saints in the Catholic sense, you know, that has to do with like condign merit and the treasury of merit and all these other doctrines that, you know, aren't anywhere near the Bible.
5: Uh, yeah. Well, I think we had this conversation. I think I had this conversation with you the other day and I showed you that uh, scripture shows that uh, the saints are those that uh, actually are the elect, not all those that come to Faith are the elect. i showed you that from Scripture.
1: All those who, what, say that again?
5: Yeah, all those that come into the faith, not all of them are uh, of the elect.
1: That's impossible. It's literally impossible, and you can't show us okay. that from Scripture, because that's not what Scripture I
5: showed, teaches. I showed you in Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 20.
1: No, and, I, and so you, you bailed when I finished exegeting that, showing you where you're wrong. So I well, exegeted we, that entire passage, showing you where you
5: were completely incorrect in your interpretation. Well, what you did was you, um, you refused to let me speak. You muted me. And uh, the thing is, with regards to that, that passage, um, you said that it all came down to that one word, practice. And you were using it in modern terms with regards to modern. Oh, English.
1: yeah. You left before, before Matt Flick came back and read it to us in the Greek.
5: Yes, and I
1: was right. You were wrong.
5: Well, hold on. So you were using the uh, modern English understanding of the word, the term practice. But when we looked at the Greek uh, word for that, the ancient Greek word for that, it wasn't plural like it is with the modern.
1: No, it's uh, because English. you don't understand Greek.
5: Yeah. And so
1: we had someone who understands Greek is. told told us that I was right that you had you're left doing, by
5: that You're doing time. what you did the other day. As I'm speaking here, well, because you're saying
1: things that aren't true, you and are you're trying to establish them as facts. <laughs> so, okay, I gotta go later. So this is what happens: is like, you know, we have this discussion. You know, the 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 Greek word there is practice iniquity. And when we went to the Greek, he was looking at it as the actual word was singular. And he was trying to say that because of the singular case of that word, it is a single instance. And it's just an insane idea. And he continues to try to bandy this about. Um, And when we actually had the Greek, we had Matt look up the Greek Um, with all of the tenses and cases and, you know, all the voices and what have you, um, the actual English word practice and ongoing practice is the correct word, not a single instance. Because, you know, and then the argument that I used was, if you've got um, meat sacrificed to idols, then people that were breaking the um, conditions of eating meat sacrificed to idols um, in the Corinthian church—they had they had technically practiced idolatry—and so when Catholic traditionalist was saying, you know, oh, it doesn't mean practice; it means a one-time event. I'm like, oh, great! So the entire Corinthian church was thrown out at that point, really? Because that's what you're saying? He just doesn't understand the scripture; he doesn't read it. You know, very
0: well. I mean, that sounds. A lot like the, uh, you know, Facebook conversation we were having earlier, which was coming off the heels of my ridiculous conversation back and forth the same way. So, you know, maybe if he had a couple thousand years more of church history, like, you know, in like 4023, like get a couple couple more millennia of church tradition, maybe he'll be able to figure it out. Um, but that that just frustr that, frust- that uh that is one of the things that that make me frustrated because I'm like, guys, if the first century church could somehow find their head from their tail. And figure it out. If you're saying anyone in century one was saved and knew the gospel well enough and knew Jesus stuff well enough to be cool with God eternally, then surely we can do exactly what those people did, without all the thousands of years of heaped on tradition on top of it, and be just fine, just like they were, right? So it's like it's like you know, if the Bible is like the if the gospel is like you know Jesus for dummies, it's like why would we then go and make it like this? Super, super complex, convoluted, like, like just pile heaps, like the Pharisees, like piling all these like unnecessary traditions and burdens on top of people that is no benefit. Like, it's, it's detracting from the actual thing. Like, it's detracting every time you add—I mean, Jesus, it's not unlike government. Like, every time you add rules upon rules and laws on laws, we already have laws in place. We already have laws of the Spirit in place. We already have Jesus in place. We don't need three more things talking about Jesus. We need one thing talking about Jesus. Jesus. Oh, it is frustrating to no end. It's like more is not better. Less is Less is more in this case.
7: Good morning, morning. guys. God bless you. Hello, good morning. Hey, good morning, brother. I just wanted to add uh, one thing real quick. Uh, You know, a careful study of uh, 1 John 3, 1 through 9, it speaks of justification, right? Because notice that we're in him, there is no sin, meaning in Christ. In Christ, we are justified. In Christ, we have a redemption, Glory if he meant if John literally meant that we will never sin again well he's contradicting himself in 1 John chapter 2 verse 1 where he says my little children these things I write to you so that you may not sin and if anyone sins we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous right and one last thing it was John the revelator who committed idolatry in heaven twice in revelation 19 verse 8 and 9, or verse 10, and in Revelation chapter 22, verse 8, where we bow down before an angel. So sin is not far from us. However, as far as justification, we are justified, cleansed in him. There is no sin. On to our sanctification. I just wanted to put that in there. I'll drop myself back down in the audience, but God bless you. Oh,
0: no need to drop yourself down unless you just really want to. Feel
1: free to hang out a yeah. while. Hang you know, out, oh, I'll be. Um, hey, so what's the what's the verse? And yeah, I know what you're talking about. Where he bows down to the angel, and the angel says, "Do not do it." What's the reference? Uh,
7: Re- uh, Revelation chapter nineteen, verse ten, and Revelation twenty-two, verse eight, where John commits idolatry in heaven.
5: Right. <laughs> in
1: heaven of all places. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that goes right back to my point that. You know, there's, you know, this idea that if you sin once, that you are, you know, you've lost all of your, you know, your infused grace, Um, because that is the Catholic teaching, is that if you, if you commit idolatry once, that is a mortal sin, and you have lost all of your infused grace, and then you must perform sacraments in order to restore that infused grace. Um, So are we to believe that John, the revelator, who commits idolatry twice during his trip to to heaven to have all of this revealed and write the scripture, lost his salvation?
7: Odd.
0: Hey, Josh. What's, oh, you go ahead, Abby. Oh, no, yeah.
7: I, I was just going to say, uh, and Christ rebukes five of the seven churches in Revelation, right? Chapter two and three. And some of the churches, their their issues were with idolatry. And what was the
1: command? Repent.
5: Uh, what's up,
0: Josh? How are you doing?
1: Oh, Hey, I'm hey, trying I'm to Alvin, but it's not working. Can you guys Alvin, hear me okay? <coughs> Yeah, one uh, second. I hear you. Hey, uh, Alvin, I'm trying to invite you up, but it's not working. You might have to leave. And oh, let's
0: see if for... I can. Hang on, let me give it a shot, Alvin. Yeah, Alvin, well, I invite you too, so if that doesn't work, try leaving and come back. Um. Yeah, what's up,
3: Josh? Hey, um... I just stopped into the room, and I, I heard, uh, I believe it was you, Nate, uh, before Alby interjected. Um, I heard you speak about uh, tradition. Uh, full disclosure, I am a Roman Catholic, uh, but I'm not a scholar by any means. I'd say I'm on the journey. Uh, that being said, so did I hear you correctly in saying that tradition and custom is is sort of fallible and, and has no, maybe not merit, wasn't a word that you had said, but you, you question the utility of tradition. Could you elaborate on that a little?
0: You're a little hard to hear, but basically, uh, what was the very last sentence you said before I elaborate further? Something about tradition? I think I, I get what you're saying, but I didn't hear you completely.
3: Yeah, I'm just curious if you could uh, illuminate your thought on tradition and custom, um, born out of Scripture. Could you, could you illuminate uh, that, that idea? First?
0: Uh, well, let's see. I mean, I guess if you heard what I said earlier, I would just say that. To, to go further, um, I'd, probably, I'd probably dial it back and say that it's, it's not, well, which I, I said already, it, it's not necessary. So if people want to do traditions, and you know people want to keep customs or something like that, just for any other reason than like something to do directly with your salvation, fine, do that. Who cares? Um, if you want to go to church a certain day of the week because that's tradition, fine, do that. But wh- my problem is whenever people start putting tradition on the same same level as scripture, and when people start referring to tradition that happened, you know, hundreds of years later than the original church, like than than Jesus and the first century uh, church. And people talk about that tradition like it's on the same level um, when these people darn sure didn't know this stuff. And there's no way that they would say, you know, these apostles or these disciples um, are not saved and are not. I mean, they pray to them. Um, So they wouldn't say that they're not in heaven and they're not on God's good side. um, Yet there's no way they would have known this sacred tradition that comes centuries and even millennia later than when they were alive. So my thought is, it's just perplexing to me how people would put so much stock in tradition and it's like, well, Jesus, he's good, sure. He rose from the dead. I, I'll put my trust in him to save me. But now let's look at you know, thousands of years of stuff piled on top of that as if it's making it better. But I think in many cases, it makes it much, much worse um, to the point where it completely binds the gospel and binds Jesus. So in short, my thought is less is more, if it's good enough for the first century church, let's just do what they did and stay very, very close to the cross and not go farther and farther away from the cross by coming up with more traditions and more doctrines. Um, that's where I was going with it.
8: Would
3: you consider a holy sacrament as being a form of tradition?
0: Define holy sacrament.
3: Well, for example, for example, I mean, you mean define holy sacrament? it not pretty obvious. Okay, fine. I'll give you one. Uh, let's just say uh, the Eucharist is the Eucharist.
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But you said holy sacraments. I'm like, well, are you thinking of more than the Eucharist? Because why didn't you just say Eucharist? But yeah, that's sure. That's a tradition. Fine. I mean, we well, have we there,
3: have there's, de- there's, we definitely. I don't mean to cut well, you off. I don't mean to cut you off. But there are seven sacraments, correct?
1: So well, I don't know if the Roman Catholic Church says that there are seven sacraments, but the Bible only describes two, baptism and oh, Lord's Supper.
3: So part, pardon me, I um, I I prefaced my comment, Chris, by saying I'm a Roman Catholic, so would it not naturally be, uh, would I not in, be inclined to say there are seven? Uh, so that being said, I don't know if you can put them all on equal footing, so my point with respect to the Eucharist, like when it comes to tradition, Nate, would you would you rank them? Would you would you say some traditions are are useful uh, and others?
0: Well, you're still you're still I am hearing what you're saying, but it is very difficult, and you're like popping and clicking, and, and it sounds like overdriven. But I, I mean I hear you, but it's hard. Um, but yeah, well, first of all, like it's wholly irrelevant to what we're talking about because these traditions, communion, as we would say and baptism were practiced during the time of Jesus. So my whole thing is stuff that came much, much later in the councils, in the church fathers, all these other things, much, much past the time of Christ in the first century church. So these two things that you're talking about, obviously I'm going to be fine with because they happened during the time of Christ in the first century church. So that's, that's irrelevant to this discussion.
3: Okay. Well then there you go. I mean, you, you yourself, you see, you see merit you see utility in tradition so it's sort of from your vantage point it's a qualitative observance some you're judging to be more useful than others and others you don't uh see a lot of use in so um i i don't know if that's i mean you're i don't know if you're
0: I don't know if it's something wrong Just with if God no. is if God is I don't know if God's doing this to mess with the Catholics, but your, your mic is also really bad. But right. basically, like guys, here is here is the whole here is the whole thing of my point. Find what the first century church did. And stop right there. So if someone's like, well, in the second century now, nope, nope, go back. Well, in 300. Nope, go back. So my entire point is do what the first century church did and do nothing else
2: that's a good point you know that's going to raise up the point of like the some baptist doing the sacrament of foot washing you know that we a lot of people would say that's just tradition but you know that's uh part of the first century church and jesus washing feet i've never had my feet washed you know but uh you know i've had a few foot surgeries and while my foot was rotten and everything, I would have hate to, to had to go through that sacrament right there and maybe look at it as a curse from God because I, I couldn't have it uh, have the sacrament.
0: Well, But we're, I think we're also getting a little bit away from from the point. Like, I don't think anyone, even Chris, would say traditions are bad. Like, well, I mean, depending on what we're talking about, like keeping, you know, keeping a certain feast dinner or foot washing or something like that. Like, I don't care about tradition in that sense. I'm talking about when it becomes like a salvation issue or like, you know, defining doctrine or how you interpret scripture. And then it's like based on tradition. And it's like, well, if you based on tradition, you're just taking someone else's interpretation of how they interpret scripture. Um, so like when we start when we start taking traditions um, and it starts like competing with the gospel or being on the same level of scripture, like that's when traditions are a problem. And like yesterday, like I was talking to someone and, you know, they were telling me like, you know, because I'm a Protestant, I have a problem with Catholic traditions, but I do tradition too. Like, you know, I, Protestants will have traditional church services like at 10 a.m. on Sunday. I'm like, bro, you've got to see there's a difference between saying, hey, show up for Sunday school at 10 o'clock, bring donuts. And, you know, these traditions like will mess with your eternal soul. Like that that's what I mean by tradition. If someone wants to celebrate Seder, not my thing, but sure, go ahead. Um, Someone wants to wash people's feet and reenact, you know, the alabaster box thing um, or the foot washing with Jesus. Fine. Do that. But if they say it's necessary for salvation or if they say it's like some great, you know, great thing to do or or you're going to have like damnation if you don't do it. Like my point has to be clear at this point, right? (laughs) It's clear. Uh, Josh, does that make sense? Yeah,
3: your point is clear. I mean, it's your point of view. It's—I don't know if you can hear me, but uh, yeah, I'm—I'm I'm open to hearing it. You know, that's why I ask the questions. Like we can agree to disagree and uh, carry forth. Can I ask you another question? Somewhat, sure. it's somewhat obtuse. Um, would you do you think? Uh, would you accuse a Calvinist of being an idolatry?
0: I don't think so. What would your case be for that?
3: Well. I think I would accuse him of idolatry based on the fact that their sect, if you want to call it that, has the name of of uh, another man, John Calvin, in it. So to um. me, it seems like they're phrasing the interpretation of Calvin as opposed to uh, divorcing um, his interpretation from this scripture
0: itself. Does that make sense? Uh, it makes sense, but I couldn't, um, you know, in all my experience, I, I mean, I'm not a Calvinist, um, but, you know, I, I couldn't outright say that because I've never heard anyone like, you know, speak, speak incredibly highly of Calvin. Usually they say they just think he was right. That's why they do it. And in my mind, I liken that to like the Trinity, right? It's nowhere in the Bible. People like want to say stuff. And it's like, well, look guys, Trinity is just an easy way of quickly explaining what the triune being of God is without like going from Genesis to revelation. So similarly, like, you know, many Calvinists I meet will say like, you know, they, they only call themselves Calvinists or they'll just like usually say they're reformed. And if they say Calvinist, it's like, okay, fine. Because they understand that's a quick way to convey what they mean. So if, if uh, you know, they're like, well, I'm a Calvinist. Um, I've never met anyone that sounds like they necessarily worship John Calvin. Um, and a lot of them don't hold them in like, super high regard you know because he did some shady stuff but um it's a quick way of explaining the guy's point of view and like oh i believe this about uh, this about this and this about this so no i mean if i ever meet someone that's like you know has prayer beads for calvin um then i i may remember you and send you a message and be like hey i found one
2: it's the kind of thing that you know if you have an issue with something like that you know also have a issue with westlands and lutherans and stuff similar uh, names being used by Christians and their churches and stuff, but no, it wouldn't be idolatry.
1: In the same vein, would Augustinian monks in the Roman Catholic tradition be idolaters because they worship Augustine?
3: You kind of cut out there, Chris, but I heard Roman Catholic Church in St. Augustine.
1: So, so what I said is would Augustinian monks be considered idolaters, in your estimation, using the same standard because they follow and look at the teachings of Augustine?
3: Well, we would have to ask them, because I'm not one of them.
1: You're breaking up real well, bad. Right I, I grew up with Carmelite uh, monks. I
3: would um, sort sure of defer to nature.
0: I think he said the same explanation I gave for the Calvin people, but yeah, Josh, your, your audio is
1: really bad.
3: Um, okay, I'm just going to listen.
1: Uh, oh, well, welcome, Alvin. And so oh, go ahead, not Chris. to say, yeah, I've been wanting to say this for a while, so it's not to say that we do not have a sacred tradition. We do have a sacred tradition as Protestants. We have a long and storied sacred tradition going back to the first century of the church. Um, The Roman Catholics do not have a corner on sacred tradition. We do follow the traditions and the deposit of faith left by the apostles. Um, The difference is, is what we derive authority from. Okay. So the Catholics or Roman Catholics will derive authority from the quote unquote church itself. And sacred tradition is an umbrella that includes the scripture and the oral teachings of the apostles. Okay? So what we would say is we have a sacred tradition, and what Sola Scriptura means is that our sacred tradition draws its authority from theanustas only, that we get faith and practice from only the scriptures and not from nebulous oral teachings that have never been written down.
0: And Alvin's
5: gone.
0: All right. Anyone else have anything going on? Well, Chris, uh, let's, you could talk to Eliyahu. Would you like that pain this morning? Or uh, let's see. Oh, sure. Anyone else? Oh, okay.
1: I mean, it's just, well, you know, that's the theological kiddie table. I mean, if we want to do that. But hey, uh, Alvin. What's going yeah, on yeah morning, that's brother? good.
9: There's a good question of in the comments here. Who came first,
0: Roman Catholicism or Protestantism?
1: <laughs> yeah, it would be Protestantism. So, you know, we we draw our tradition and faith and practice from the Scriptures and like Nate was saying, we're trying to be as close to the first century. And, and Nate, the second century is fine too. It's not that we don't have traditions of men. So for instance, there are traditions of worship that we have um, that are not written down that are fine. Now, when those traditions will, if they ever conflict with, with what is written down in Scripture, then we go with Scripture, right? So, like, if the lady with the handkerchief starts dancing on stage as a, you know, spirit dancer, we, we may have some problems with that because it kind of goes against Scripture. So... Um, <laughs>
0: Well, and that's what I'm saying. I I don't want to
1: criticize Nate's church.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I am the spirit dancer, Chris. Is male spirit dancers okay? Um, I would love to see you dressed
1: in a white robe with like red handkerchiefs and like prancing all over stage. I think that would be. I would come to your church permanently. I would move my family to wherever you live to watch you be the worship dancer every week.
0: Well I mean you may get to see me in a white ribbon in heaven, but short of that no um well no that's what I'm saying I no one has a problem with with tradition like you know different traditions like a nice easy tradition like a family tradition or or something like that no one's got a problem with that but when I talk about traditions I'm talking about like I mean you're you're a good Catholic boy for a while right like what are the Catholic traditions off the top of my head I'm not Catholic and don't care to really be in that world but you know i'm thinking like the rosary right like i don't know if that's right to call that like a, a tradition in that sense but it came from somewhere that you don't see anyone in the first century church doing so like that or anything like quasi that like that's what i mean like you know different just just absolutely unnecessary traditions according to jesus and the first century church
3: yeah i don't know if uh, you guys can hear me can you hear me
1: oh much better. uh yes
3: Okay, um, it's interesting when I hear a Protestant say "we." I I struggle with that. I, to me, it seems like every Protestant is on their own island. There doesn't seem to be a cohesion amongst Protestants. So to identify it as being a "we" when really it's sort of a disparate uh, puddle of of uh, interpretation. I wonder how do you you know, how do you, how do you, how do you have a we with, uh,
1: because we have the universal church again, you don't understand what the church is. So the church is not church is not an institution because, you know, here's the other thing is that it's Catholic propaganda to think that Catholics are united. Catholics are badly divided. Are you a big fan of Pope Francis by the way? Is Pope Francis like really awesome and, you know, he's doing gay days and he's, you know, like m- messing really? around with Catholic theology, Chris Lam and all kinds of stuff. You a big fan of Pope Francis? Probably not. You a big fan of the, uh, the German, um, bishops that have recently, um, declared gay marriage, um, as sanctified in German Catholic churches and they have not been excommunicated by Francis. Are you cool with those guys? Are you like so? This fantasy that the Roman Catholic Church is somehow unified is just propaganda. It's fantasy. Um, Secondly, um, we believe in the essentials of the historic Christian faith. Even though Nate and I go to different types of churches, um, and we have secondary issues that we disagree on, we all agree on the gospel of Christ. That we are all um, we are born into a sinful world, and that we are all born broken and Uh, dead in our sins and trespasses. And that the gospel of Christ is that he came to earth as God um, and he gave himself for our sins on the cross and then raised from the dead. Um, And so we, in the great exchange, get something called, and I'm going to be theological here because we're having a theological discussion. So we get something called alien imputed righteousness, And he takes our sin. It's called the great exchange. So he gives us his perfect life that he lived on earth. And then we give him our sin.
3: Point of information, point of information. Is the use of the term alien uh, your own interpretation? Or is that uh, part of the universal church to use the word alien?
1: So so the universal church would not use the word alien. I'd use it as a theological term. If you read um, chapter five of Regensburg, are you familiar with this document?
3: I don't know. Is he a, is he a Protestant? No.
1: no, 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 my friend. Um, okay. Yeah. Re- Regensburg was a uh, chat about 20 years after uh, the... Um, diet of Worms, to try to reunite Protestants and Catholics about the doctrine of justification. And so Eckhard, um, uh, Eck, um, he was there as one of the major Catholic theologians, and they had an entire conference about this to try to hammer out exactly what justification means. The reason they couldn't hammer anything out is because of alien imputed righteousness versus infused righteousness. And so I can send you a PDF that has the entire... Uh, lays out the entire differences between Protestants and Catholics on justification in excruciating detail. But why I used alien imputed righteousness is because all Christians believe that Jesus gives us his perfect life to stand in for us one time as justification. That's why it's called alien imputed righteousness. It's not a righteousness of our own. And then we give him our sin. First Peter two twenty four. He bore our sins on the cross, and so all Christians universally believe in that gospel.
3: I don't believe that's in aliens, it. man. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> that
1: needs to be reached. Well, alien, alien in its old sense didn't mean like out worlders. It just means um, not not of you. So, like when we say alien, when 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 the catholic and protestant theologians in the uh, 16th century were talking about these issues catholics and protestants used the term alien imputed righteousness to differentiate it differentiate it from just regular imputed righteousness because one thing i will say is that it is absolute slander to say that the catholic church believes in a crass works righteousness they do not they believe in imputed righteousness okay so you would believe as a catholic uh, in imputed righteousness the difference is that word alien and so the imputed righteousness that you get is christ plus your own works and so we don't say that that the catholic church believes in works salvation that is again that is slander and it is it is not correct so when a protestant who knows about catholicism is talking about these things we begin to use very specific language to avoid confusion
3: okay we're back to the main thread here i asked about the we in protestant
1: yeah so that's it so most of the
0: protestants universally believe in the death burial, resurrection of christ and the bare bones essentials uh, that you need to be called a christian a true disciple of christ by christ so That's it. Like there's, there's a few denominations who manage to mess that up and the overarching majority of Protestant Christians get that, uh, that, that's the answer. So I I would dare say it's more of a, we, than you know, like Chris talked about the schisms within Catholicism. Like there was someone like on here just a little bit ago who in his profile, like vehemently does not like Pope Francis at all. Um, and and has a lot of problems with Catholicism yet they are a professing Catholic. So, um, I, I would say that. I, I think I would put the Protestant we against the Catholic we. Um, I think we we'll win.
3: So a supplementary question, and then I'll listen. Um, do you think we, as you're terming it, the Protestants in the universal church, are capable of banding together in a joint effort to usher in uh, the reign of Christ the King?
0: I don't think we're going to be able to to will it or force it to happen, if that's if that's the question. I think it will happen uh, whenever God says it will happen. He knows the time. He knows the hour. So whenever that is, um, I don't think anyone is going to be able to uh, speed that up or slow that down. Like, it's going to happen when it happens.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are some Reformed theologians that believe you can speed the... Uh, um, the second coming uh i would disagree with that but that's that is not a that is not an uncommon idea in eschatological theology
0: and and for one second for the record mm -hmm. those people who say that and disagree with us probably still christians just fine go ahead
7: yeah i was just gonna say second peter chapter three verse 12 says that we can speed up the time by living godly collectively around the world. Second Peter chapter three, verse 12, something to uh, take a look at and consider.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's where a lot of the debate runs around at. And, you know, there are different interpretations of three, 12. Um, you know, I happen to, to take a different view of that. i be, but again, see, so this is a perfect, this is a perfect example though. Right. So Josh, albie and i are brothers in christ we disagree on calvinism we disagree on eschatology we disagree on a lot of stuff but you know what we agree on 100 percent, what the gospel is who christ is who god is so you know we have the essentials of the historic christian faith behind us and we are one even though we disagree on secondary issues correct albie
7: yeah absolutely Yeah. So, I mean, I would say all doctrines are essential, but not all doctrines are salvific, you know?
1: Yeah. So, yeah. And and actually, that's funny, Gabriel. Protestantism is more Catholic, (laughs) you know, because, I mean, you know, there are all kinds of schisms of Catholics everywhere. Um, You know, I I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic school. I was taught by Carmelite monks. Um, you know, all of the different orders in the monastic system, they have radically different beliefs. They will submit to Rome, but if you really start talking to them, they will get into their different theologies. Augustinian monks are completely different from Carmelite monks, are completely different from Jesuits. Yeah, and these uh
3: conversations I never feel compelled uh to to be um let's say intellectually superior or equivalent to whom I'm speaking to as a Roman Catholic. I just would defer to the appropriate authority on a lot of these matters. Um and I and I'm very content in that. So, you know I'll ask some question when you <coughs> see no, really bad fighting amongst themselves.
0: Sorry. Yeah, well, I mean, we're only hearing bits and pieces of what you're saying. I did hear you'd, you'd defer to the proper authority, and not, not to be glib, but I'd say, well, so would I. Um, I'd, I'd say Jesus. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. I do mean that, but the I don't mean to be cow, ca- crass. But I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, defer to defer the Scripture. And by the time someone else has to interpret for you, Unless you live your life with people telling you how to do everything because you cannot possibly figure out how to, how to navigate your life, um, then you can read the Bible just fine. It's very few and far people in between that come off with crazy cultist interpretations of Scripture. Um, the general majority, I mean, if you want to talk about some like archaic thing like, you know, about King Jeconiah or something like that or, or some scholarly thing. Sure, let's let's get a scribe. Let's like you know go to someone who's a historian or a theologian or something like that and ask questions. But as far as the gospel, the the ultimate point uh, of Christianity is concerned, um, a, a child can understand that. They can read it and be like, oh, confess, believe, Jesus, death, burial, resurrection. It, it's very it's very hard to mess that up. Um, so that's what I would say. And if it's not a salvation issue, if it's a secondary thing or whatever. Well, it doesn't matter eternally. Because it's in the name, but yeah, go get some help. Go go study a little bit. But the thing that you need the most, you need the least scholarship for. That's that's kind of my position. Uh, Chris, were you saying something, or I think you're just filling in a blank? Patristic man, what's up?
4: Yeah, I had a question for Chris because y'all were talking about uh, the the stuff like Calvinism. Uh, free will, Uh, those are all secondary issues to the gospel. What are we talking about? uh, But I just heard um, John MacArthur recently say that uh, Calvinism or Arminianism is a false form of Christianity.
1: What would you say to something like that? I would say say you'd have to produce the audio. (laughs) I mean, I think you'd have to first produce the audio. I was
7: going to say the same exact thing. Before we raise a charge, First Timothy chapter five, verse twenty says, "Before you raise up an accusation against an elder, right, bring two or three witnesses. But you know, bring bring uh, evidence for what you said, because uh, as far as I've known, uh, John MacArthur, that's never been his position at all.
4: I have the video on my YouTube channel. If you want to check it out. But he says that believing in prevenient grace that allows you to choose to believe is a false form of Christianity.
1: So, so again, we have to take people in their context. Um, MacArthur has tens of thousands of hours of audio out there, and so if you can, if you can produce the actual clip, go ahead and post it in the in the uh, chat. Then I will review it and we can talk about it, but I really can't talk about something that I've never seen and I've never heard MacArthur say that. I happen to have all of MacArthur's commentaries, I happen to have all of MacArthur's books. Um, you know, I'm not a MacArthurite by any means, but, um, you know, I, 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 would, I would say that I have a passing familiarity with Dr. MacArthur and uh, he would not hold a position that Arminians are not Christians. He would say that Arminianism is a false teaching, and I agree with that. I think it's really silly when you get right down to it, but, you know, we can again disagree. I know that my friends in here that are Arminians are Christians, you know, I, I have no problem with that. I, I mean, like, we, we talked about this earlier.
7: And the true uh, uh, Christians are Assyrians,
1: Oh, yeah, that's hundred percent true. We weren't we weren't blessed with Assyrianism at birth, but we are grafted in.
7: You know, I, I just wanted to put this quickly out there as well. You know, as far as all these Trinitarian churches go, like Roman Catholics or the Coptics or the Orthodox, my personal position, and I can't go against my own conscience, even though I don't dictate truth. But my you know, for me, I believe that there are Uh, goats and sheep in all these churches just like there's goats and sheep in a Protestant. That's why I like to deal with the person individually to see where they're at. But there's a reason why I'm not a part of the institution. Right? The institution I disagree with. But with the persons, once I start building with them to see where their heart is um, and see where they're at with the gospel and where they're at with these, it's uh, we're not far off. When I build with the
1: person individually, but that's just on a case-to-case basis, of course. So I see the link that you posted, and it's a clip. Do you have the wider? Do you have like the? I mean, that's an hour-long sermon. Do you have the actual sermon from MacArthur's website? Because all of his all of his sermons are online. So yeah, do I the do. It's, sermon that comes from.
4: It's actually one of his
1: most viewed sermons. I'll find it. Okay yeah and then we can talk about
0: for the record albie i agree uh like i i don't want to like you know pronounce damnation on a whole denomination or something because you know like we're like we're talking about earlier like you know there are catholics like many most of the catholics i personally know um you know they go to church like a few times a year like they're they're not really catholic in any sense of, of the practicing uh practicing term but they still identify as catholic and um so there's that. And then there's Catholics who attend service regularly, like my wife, uh, when when we started dating. So she was like, you know, she would say devout Catholic, but she only had like a very, very cursory understanding. Like, you know, she went to Catholic school and stuff like that. But she just went regularly every week and read her a little like daily devotional. But it was very, very surface level. So I don't think she knew like any like really she went that deep at all. Like she didn't know half the stuff that later we were talking about, she was like, I had no idea. She was like, I had no idea. Like, are you sure? Are you sure? Um, and then there's the Catholic, you know, like straight up like apologists who, who, well, uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, th- there's all kinds of different people. So I don't want to like say just because someone goes to one denomination, um, they're just like someone else that goes to that same denomination.
1: Hey, Alvin, I'm trying to find that link to the Regensburg article. Um, I'll when I find it, I'll send it. I thought Tyler had sent it to me, but he hasn't, or maybe he sent it to me in text, so I'll have to go back and
0: And for the record, um, as someone who I, I don't identify as Arminian, but many people would put me in that bubble because uh, you know I, I don't necessarily agree with everything there, but I'm definitely not Calvinist, Chris, definitely not. But you know, if MacArthur said that, and if that is true. Then I'd say, well, he's just a fallible human like anyone else, and I hope he's ready to spend eternity in heaven with all of us
1: well and and here's the other thing is that like i'm gonna I'm gonna go back i have I think I've seen part of this video um but yeah i'll I'll go check it out for man, but it's an hour long, so I'm not gonna be able to do it now and have a discussion now so um but um but yeah I mean and and here's the thing is that. When we call somebody an Arminian, it's being charitable, because there are only two positions within the five about free will that are orthodox. Okay, So the first position is something called Pelagianism, the second position is something called Cassianism, the third position is Arminianism, the fourth position is Calvinism, and the fifth position is Hyper-Calvinism or Determinism. And so the only two that are within the bounds of Orthodox Christianity are going to be Arminianism and Calvinism. Pelagius was thrown out of the church in the 5th century. Cassius was thrown out of the church in the 6th century. Um, you know, hyper-Calvinists have never been, they've always been idiots. So, you know, you're only left, you know, in the, in the five conceptions of free will— When we say, oh, if you're not a Calvinist, you must be an Arminian, that's us being charitable because there are only two positions that are Christian positions. Everything else is heresy.
0: Thank you, Chris, for your mercy.
1: Where's the
4: standard for that, though? Because like John MacArthur says that it allows them to contribute to their salvation, thus making it a false form of Christianity. So, I mean, Arminianism would fall into that if you were to take that standard.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, I, it, there's there's very nuanced theology that has to do with prevenient grace. And there are some Calvinists that will say that, you know, people that believe in prevenient grace are not in the kingdom. I would disagree with them. Um and and again, I haven't read, I haven't seen this whole sermon recently. So I and I hadn't been looking at it in that lens to try to figure out what he's saying. So I will do that, and then we can come back together maybe Monday. But um, you know, I guess the I guess the thing is is that traditionally, like the five views of free will, um, you know, and, and again, there's not a sixth view of free will. There's there's only five. Um, And that's why we say you're either a Calvinist or an Arminian if you were a Christian. I mean, you could be a Pelagian, I suppose, but we wouldn't consider Pelagians Christians. I mean, I don't think you would consider a Pelagian a Christian, would you? Like Pelagius that fought with... No, I would not. No. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, and I wouldn't consider a Cassian a Christian. Like he was thrown out in the 6th century as a heretic. You know, I, I agree with the church on that. Like, you know, and I'm not going to say that hyper-Calvinists that are hyper-determinist God-making robots, that's not a Christian position. So you're only left with two at that point.
7: Well, I hope um, that's not Gil, because that's my boy.
2: Armenians are uh, Christians because they, in part, because they believe in total depravity, which means that, you know, God would have to trespass their enmity to be able to make a difference in their life, to be able to will for positively for
4: him well hyper hyper calvinists also hold to that so i guess why would they have a false gospel
1: so why are hyper calvinists have a false gospel um because they have no role for um free will in the uh uh formulation of salvation and so um you know hard determinism or hyper calvinism is not compatible with biblical christianity and so they would deny salvation by grace um they would say that uh everything is determined that you're a robot your your grace is not is not useful because you don't have any choice in anything and your grace is just given to you as a robot and so You know, hyper-Calvinism has a lot of theological problems.
4: I guess the question is, you know, Nate was talking about the importance of believing the life, death, resurrection of Christ, and that, uh, you know, it's all by faith alone. Uh, So I guess if a hyper-Calvinist holds
1: that, would they not be holding to the gospel? Well, so it's not that they surface hold to it. It's that the implications of their belief system would deny it. It's the same thing, like, um, so for instance, like, why is somebody who denies the Trinity not a Christian, right? It's not that it's because they're just going against a cardinal teaching. It's because the implications, uh, for like the atonement, for instance, with, um, say oneness theology would preclude them from being actual Christians because you've got, you know, uh, part, uh, I, I always say this word wrong. Uh, part part to uh, cannot, it's a tongue twister. Basically it's that the, the father is experiencing death. Like I can't remember the, the, the name uh, of the, the doctrine. Pasher-Pasher-Parterism? Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, anyway, it was condemned uh, by the church in, like, the second century. You know, so, like, I mean, like, so what we would say is, like, th- it doesn't, it's not necessarily the fact that they're oneness, it's the fact that oneness theology has deeper implications that make it against Christianity. Same thing for hyper-Calvinism.
10: Uh, hello, guys. Uh, do, th- do, do you really think that you need a theologist to understand Christ?
0: Nope, not at all. Absolutely not. Sure.
10: So why uh, is all that debate? Because Jesus plain speaks plainly and uh, strictly on those who are the, his followers. So he defines his followers in a certain way. And if you uh, live up to that definition, you're all, all okay. You're a Christian.
0: Yes. All of the debate is almost exclusively about issues unrelated to what you need to do to be saved. I mean, I mean, that... No. That is a, a chunk, that is uh, a chunk. Well, you said, why all the debate? So, I mean, that's the debate.
10: Okay, but uh, the salvation that you pr- propose is not kind of thing that Jesus Christ proposes. He actually never speaks of salvation. He speaks of the kingdom. He talks about so, eternal
0: life. That's
10: completely, no, no, he, he, he doesn't. He, do, he absolutely does not. He speaks about the earthly things. Wait, and earthly things when, wait, wait.
0: When when Jesus says, I will give the waters of eternal life to that who wants it, you know, freely. Like, whenever he talks about you must be born again and enter the kingdom of heaven, are you, just just so we can all get on the same page, saying there is no spiritual world, there is no heaven, everything is just here on earth?
10: I'm trying to tell you, Nate, that Jesus Christ is the ultimate uh, life coach. He teaches you how to live the oh, life of Oh, crap, I, I
0: remember you. Oh. Yes, yeah, Chris, talk to yes, this guy. I
10: believe you do remember me, and you do remember what I was trying to tell you a year ago.
0: And right, I'm and still and
10: trying this now. The yeah, so so Jesus the life said, coach? He's, Jesus Christ sweet. is, yes, he's the ultimate life guy? coach.
1: Yeah. So was he God?
10: Yes, absolutely.
1: 100%. Okay. Um, uh, uh, can
7: I ask him a quick question, please?
1: Yeah, go ahead. I'll be. I, I'm, I got nothing. Oh, okay. Luck,
7: I'm, I'm just curious because in Matthew chapter 18, verse 9, let me read it for you. Let me pull it up. This is what Jesus considers life. It says, and if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and be cast into the hellfire. According to Jesus, he considers the afterlife to be the true life where he is. So is he the life coach of this earthly realm? Because surely that's not what his uh, doctrine was. His doctrine was life is in his presence with him. That's Matthew 18, verse 9. It's better for you to enter into life.
10: I understand. I know this. Quotations, if you read John, a certain part of John, he says, I came so you could live a life and life to the full. So he plainly states that he came to bring us a good life here on earth. I can find this quote for you if you give me a second, but you should also remember it by heart. I came to bring you life and life to the fullest. So what you are quoting me is the later edition, and these later editions are widespread in the Gospel. and They are easy, easy to spot, because they are all Paul-based. They are based on the later doctrine of a church that grew up to be a power, like the state. So the 300 uh, years, 400 the, years after the Jesus reject,
1: Christ... You reject the Apostle Paul?
10: Oh, uh, absolutely. Totally, okay. all of his teaching, all of his, all of his antichrist and anti-Christian attitude, I reject. Oh, great, so. thanks. Thank you for sharing. So even
0: the part, so even now, the parts where Paul says exactly the same things as Jesus, you reject that too?
10: He never says Paul never says the same thing as Jesus. The Paul's creed really of does. faith is the first is the first chapter of Ephesians. That's his creed of faith. It's totally I, different. I, I, do,
7: have to, I do have to correct Kirill really quick because when he quotes John ten ten. It says this, right? The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have noticed the contrast. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. That's the purpose, right?
10: You're right. That, that's
7: okay, so it's not speaking on this side of eternity. It's speaking in the. It's hold on, hold on, hold on, please hold on. It's speaking in the life to come, and then when we go to the very next chapter, in John chapter eleven, he says what in verse twenty five to Martha, "I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me, shall never die." Do you believe this? Now, speaking of, hold on one second. Now, if you want to say, have life more abundantly, according to the law in Deuteronomy 30, verse 20, Yahweh is called our life. Yahweh, our life. Well, here's what Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Christ is our life.
10: So, I understand your religious doctrine, but you gotta understand that Jesus has removed the Old Testament and the laws of the Old Testament. He has installed the new laws mm-hmm. and the New Testament, and his laws are very simple and plain. It is the law of forgiveness and love, instead of ancient law of punishment and death. Okay, can we come also, back uh,
9: for a second to, to the passage in Matthew? Please, Matthew? could you please
10: not interrupt me? I have not interrupted A B. could you do me a favor, thanks. So, uh, what you're trying to quote me is the police teaching of the old uh, of the later church that has grown up to be a state power with all the doctrines, religious rituals, uh, the scripture. archbishops, the popes, etc., etc. What you're trying to teach me is the state-led... No, you're talking quoting out of scripture that has been modified in order to fit the purpose of this okay. old church. Now, now, number one, hold That's... on.
7: You're making an assertion. you got to stop there. When you make an assertion, you're going to have to prove it, friend, because you can't just come over here and just say something was modified because I've studied textual uh, criticism and I've, te- and I've studied uh, manuscript transmission. So if you're going to make an assertion like that, then I would suggest uh, you bring us proof. It's right, especially,
10: especially Well, argument. no, it is because you're saying that the text it's has not, been it's not. It's not an assertion. It's very plainly stated uh, fact, and I can prove you many times okay, where so this. I'm, I'm waiting the for it. Well, well, can I yeah. split? The,
0: well, hang on. Can I split the difference to continue? Because yeah, Constantine wants to get in. It's probably going to be more profitable. Um, but still, Krill, you don't need to prove it many, many times. Just, just prove it once. So you know, you made an assertion. Prove yeah, it one absolutely. Time, and then absolutely. we can move on.
10: Absolutely. Uh, There's a spot in the in the scripture, I can uh, quickly Google it up, when Jesus Christ speaks about the old wine and the new wine. Do you remember this uh, um, parable of the old wine oh, and the new wine?
0: One it second, Krill. The no, thing that, that we're parable. asking you to prove, the thing that Albie's asking you to prove is, is not where you're going. The thing that you said was the text had been modified. That's what Albie's asking you to yes, prove. That I was Yes, that I
10: was trying to uh, tell you. Please don't interrupt okay. me. Okay, Nate. Okay, fine. Okay. So he is sure, uh, uh, speaking he is, he is speaking the same very parable about the old wine and the new wine. But then he mo- goes on to speak but uh, a verse that says, and the old wine is also okay. And then when I saw this first time, I thought that Jesus Christ kind of lost his mind. Like he is saying the same parable, but then he changes the meaning. When I came across it the second time, I thought, hmm, something is strange. Really, it doesn't happen this way. Jesus Christ never takes his words back or never reverses the meaning of his parables. What's the problem? And then I took my yellow marker and marked out this later edition. Then I started to search other places where Jesus Christ would speak a parable or speak something and then kind of reverse or take the words back. Like he says, like apples, apple is a fruit, then he says apple is a vegetable, for example. And this is a clear logical contradiction. When what? the amount of these additions and when the, uh, the amount of these editions has overcome a dozen or 20, I just thought to myself, well, the playful writer or whoever edited Jesus Christ's words is kinda has no shame, you know? He or she has really no shame to add Sorry, the words. Hold on, Let, hold on, right <laughs> there. Teaching. Hold on. Stop right there. Hold on. Now.
1: You gave some examples of verses that contradicted each other. Do you have addresses for those?
10: Or are Impressive. you just making things up? No, I can really Google it up very quickly quickly or come to my Please desktop. Go and ahead and Google it. it up before you keep Yeah, sure. But you have to but, but you can but you can but you can follow follow my path very easily you can go oh ahead i and read guess what you're asserting in, in the in this in the, in the seclusion of your room with the yellow marker and every time jesus christ yeah, takes yeah, yeah, back yeah. a single word a single word of his teaching you sure, take a yellow look, marker and the mark the his fact words, that you're you.
1: illiterate is not my problem no i want fact you to send you me to i want you to send me the, the but go ahead sure. and put in the yeah, chat sure. addresses of the verses absolutely you say Absolute, word. absolutely absolutely chris
10: i
0: i Oh my goodness, I can't. Okay, Patristic, I think it was you that asked earlier, you or Josh, how we can all say we if we're Protestants. I mean, I don't even know what this guy says he is. But um, I said there's very few people who can mess up the gospel of Christ. Congratulations, you've just met one. Um, I, right. I can't continue with that. Constantine, you had a question, I think, for Albie a little bit ago. Yeah, yeah. So, so buddy, I, I repent was... and believe the gospel. There is an eternal place. It's okay. either eternal life okay. in heaven with Jesus okay. or okay. eternal death in the lake of fire. So, okay. um, you know, re- I'm not. Is it, is, it, is it
9: lake of Constantin. fire or outer, or outer dar- darkness?
0: Whoa! Means? What's happening, bro? Are you cruel point two? Okay. I'm trying to give him some parting words of wisdom.
9: Okay. So, oh, okay. The point okay. is. Okay. okay, so let's <laughs> the... come back. Uh, uh, let's come back to the.
0: Hold on, bro. I'm still trying to say in parting because I've talked to this guy before and it hasn't made a difference. But you should really reevaluate and prayerfully consider that because we do care even though it's maddening to talk to you.
9: Okay, Constantine, go ahead. Okay, so let's come back to the passage uh, in Matthew where Jesus talks about life. Uh, It's it's actually a curious passage for a different reason. So uh, there's a young man that comes to Jesus and says, uh, uh, teacher, what good thing must I do to get into eternal life? And Jesus answers, uh, 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 he says, uh, there is only one God who is good. If you want to enter uh, enter life, keep the commandments, which is a strange thing for Jesus to say. Do you want, Constantine,
1: so we're all on the same page. Hold on. So we're all on the same page. Can you give us the reference? Uh,
9: so Matthew, Matthew 19, 15, 16. Uh, 19, I know
1: the reference. 16. I'm making sure he does yeah. Yeah, 19:16.
9: Yeah, okay. Go so ahead and read so it. the man replies, so not, Jesus bro, tells him,
7: Constantine, Constantine, yeah. calm down, bro. I need we need you to read it, pal. Please. Okay. S- okay.
9: Do sound well, very it's going it's going to take a little while, but let's let's go ahead and read it. So, uh, Matthew 19:16. Just then a man came to Jesus and asked, "Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life?" Uh, so, uh, why do you ask me about uh, about what is good?" Jesus replied, "There is only one God who is good. If you, want eternal, uh, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me okay then we we go to um we, it's kind of a strange thing wait wait
7: wait let's just stop there for a second what did you understand from this what's the issue
9: uh well the issue is uh jesus is clearly describing, describing salvation as you know doing good work
7: no uh, he's not that's, actually that's no okay he's not well let, let's go let's go to no no, no Constantine, wait uh, Constantine, wait wait constantine what commandments did you uh, read in Matthew chapter nineteen, verse eighteen and nineteen?
9: Uh, well, I mean the uh, the commandments from the from the Ten Commandments. And, okay, uh, but then love where, your
7: friend? Where are the first three commandments that have to do with loving God? You want to know where those are at? Where are they in verse twenty one? To follow Jesus is to keep the first three commandments. And in doing so, you have rest for your souls, Matthew eleven, twenty eight 28 to 30, right? Because to follow Jesus is to recognize that in Matthew 20, verse 28, it says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many.
9: Well, you I mean, understand uh, the point. Yeah, you sort of you're, you're follow. You're, you're doing what Christians do in terms of putting words in Jesus' mouth, mouth. So Matthew describes it.
0: Constant, wait, 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 hang on. I'm going to put words. No, no. Okay, we're done. You, Dude, I don't know if you are have been hitting the rock or a lot of monster energy drinks. but no, I can't. I can't. Listen, you said it your own self. You read it. Here, let me read it again. No one's putting words in Jesus' mouth. You read it. I'm using your words. So... Uh, Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and then you will have treasures in heaven. It doesn't say you're going to be saved. It says then you're going to have treasures in heaven, right? Because now Jesus says, you know, store up treasures in heaven. It harkens back to the whole thing. That's not the point. He says, go and sell your stuff. Then you will have treasure in heaven. And what does he say right after that? Then come, follow me. So not to mention that I've kept all the commandments, you know, love the Lord God. Uh, you know, there's one God, you know, love the Lord God with all your heart. So check. He does that. So then he says, sell all your crap, and then come, follow me. Just like the disciples, just like Peter, he says, follow me, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So you're forget- – like people, when they bring this up, they talk about, oh, it's good works, it's good works. It's not like you're supposed to do bad works, but you're supposed to follow Jesus. That's how it ends. No one's putting words in Jesus' mouth. He says it, and you read it, and somehow you, you're you reading it, but maybe because your brain is firing faster than your mouth, you're it's escaping you. He says, then come, follow me. If he would have just left it off and said, sell all your crap, good luck, you'd have a case. But he says, then come, follow me. If he says, follow me, do you think he's going to be like, okay, follow me and do everything against what I teach? Of course not. Come, follow me means you're going to be a disciple of him. You're going to believe in him. You're going to call the Messiah. You're going to be one of the people hanging around the apostles during the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. That's what it means. There's no way around it. So to not put words in Jesus' mouth, sell all your stuff, then you'll have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. Oh my goodness. Repent and believe the gospel.
9: Um,
3: the think
4: the I,
0: I can't.
2: I can't. Aslam I can't. I the answered. It's, uh, you know, that Jesus was a man of two covenants and. That you know the four Gospels could easily be the last four go- books of the Old Covenant. <clears throat> if they were, I think people the light would go off in their head, and people would say, "Well, you know, most of the things that Jesus is talking about in the Gospels is about him uh, keeping the laws, the Old Test, the Old Covenant laws, and a little bit of it is about, you know, the New Testament." And whenever Jesus told someone like the rich young ruler to keep the laws and work for salvation. He was saying that under the old covenant and not under the new covenant. You know, the epistles teach us that we're saved by grace, through faith and not through works. So when Jesus is talking about works, he's talking to someone who is under the old covenant.
7: Well, I mean, yeah, so, I would say the Gospels are part of the Torah of the Messiah, right? And even in the Old Covenant, it was always about grace, faith working, you know, because you can sacrifice all you want. But the problem is, you know, sacrificing and continuing to do evil was no good, right? The Lord is looking for a contrite, broken spirit. So even in the same context in Matthew chapter 19, we see in 26, he understands by Christ exposing his idolatry, right, showing that his, his possessions were his idol, and that's why he's breaking the first uh, several commandments, you know, the first three commandments, especially I have no other gods before my faces, right? He exposed his idolatry. Then he goes on in verse 26 and says, you know, salvation is impossible with man, but only possible with God, and this is uh, this is just Psalm 49. Everyone should have known this um, during that time. Psalm 49, when reading from uh, you know six and on, it says this: Even those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches, no man can by any means redeem his brother, or give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly. And he should cease trying forever, that he should live on eternally, that he should not undergo decay. For he sees that even wise men die, the stupid and senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses are forever, and their dwelling places to all generations. They have called their lands after their own names, but man in his pomp will not endure. He is like the beast that perish. This is the way of those who are foolish and of those after them who approve their words. As sheep, they are appointed for soul, Death shall be their shepherd and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. And their form shall be the shoal to consume so that they have no habitation. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Shoal, for he will receive me. And that's Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many.
1: So there's a question in the chat having to do with the the law, the old covenant law and all this stuff. When we're talking about the... Old Covenant we're talking about the Mosaic Covenant okay Jesus did not make the Mosaic Covenant obsolete he simply fulfilled it okay all of us are judged according to the Mosaic Covenant every one of us however we get the imputation of Christ we talked about this earlier alien imputed righteousness so God judges us based not on our own actions but on the perfect life of Christ okay so he fu- that is what it means when it says that he fulfilled the old testament law he fulfilled it for us so that we are saved by grace not by works of the law and let's also be really clear no one was ever saved by the works of the law period end of story 100 percent of people are saved in the same way that we are saved today in the new covenant same as the old covenant by grace abram believed god and it was credited to him as righteousness we are saved this is paul's entire argument in the book of romans is that we are saved the exact same way that abram was saved before the mosaic covenant and that is through grace alone
2: amen Uh, jesus he used the law on the rich young ruler he used the law lawfully you know the rich young ruler was using Of the law unlawfully to try to gain righteousness, and the law was given to show us that we're sinful.
0: And uh, yeah, thanks for that. Welcome, working. What's up?
8: Thanks for uh, bringing me up. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I have a question here. You, I was just kind of listening in. You have, you said before, um, uh, you will have treasures in heaven what does treasures mean in that context what do you mean by treasures in heaven
0: i'd like to hear some other people but let me does anyone have that verse exactly where it says you know store like don't worry about like riches and stuff like that where the moth can like devour and where the word where where, like moths and things can like mess up material possessions and like rust and decay but he says instead store up treasures in heaven does anyone have, like, that actual verse? And anyways... Yeah, absolutely. Like
7: so so it's in uh, Matthew 6, 19 and on, <clears throat> where it's uh, the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5 through 7. Matthew chapter 6 from 19 and on. You want me to pull it up?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, talking... Yeah, I got different it. Different Ma- too,
7: Matthew ahead. 6... 19 and on says do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also
8: yeah but which uh, your guys' interpretation of that. I I I know the verse. I was you know I was raised and went to Catholic school and was raised religious and everything. And I've and and i read that passage before, but I want to know the interpretation of it because I'm not sure exactly what it is. I've heard several different interpretations and I just want to know what everyone's interpretation of that passage means as far as treasures
1: in heaven.
7: So would you guys mind if I just t- took a minute because treasures have Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: yeah. but let's, let's before you do that Alby, I want you to get into the specifics. So there's not many interpretations working. There is one correct interpretation for every single verse of scripture, and that is what the author's intention for that verse of scripture is. It is our job through the science and art of hermeneutics to figure out what the author's intention for that verse is, not come up with our own interpretations based on our own understanding. It is to get into the head of the writer and figure out what they were trying to say. So go ahead, Albie.
5: Okay.
7: So in this sense, when I think um, where my treasure is, you know, there your heart will be also. The only thing that comes to mind besides, you know, several other things, but, you know, where my treasure is. Well, let me take a look at Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, where it says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Moreover, The knowledge, knowledge is also called uh, in Colossians chapter 2, 2 and 3, it says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge and of mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Are hidden both in the Father and in Christ, right? And then other other places, right? In like in Matthew twenty-five, it speaks about um, if we're faithful with a little, He'll make us faithful for with a lot, right? And then we have that prophecy of Isaiah forty verse ten that the arm of the Lord Yahweh comes, and His reward is with them because the judgment of a believer is a judgment of rewards. Not a judgment of condemnation. So you have Isaiah 40, verse 10, when he comes, his reward is with him. Then you have that cross-reference with Matthew chapter 16, verse 27 and 28, when the Son of Man comes in the glory of his Father, right? And he rewards everyone according to their... Then again, you have that also in uh, Revelation chapter 22, verse 12 and 13, where when he comes... He's bringing his reward with them to reward each one of us according to our works, right? So, uh, some of it is going to be—I mean, depending on your eschatol—you uh, know, eschatology—I I do believe in a literal millennial or an extended period of time where we're going to be ruling the uh, with Christ. We'll be king and queen ruling over the earth. Our bodies will be made morally incorruptible, physically indestructible to have perfect discernment and to rule with our king over all the nations in a perfect, uh, kingdom for the first time in eternity, only to show and expose that even if the devil's bound up because sin dwells in man, right? Even with a perfect kingdom for this long, you still chose, uh, you know, hell and destruction over a righteous king and queen. So therefore, your condemnation of hell is rightly so. You never desired me. You desired, you know, in other words, hell. So where your heart is, there your treasure will be. May all of our hearts be with Christ. Christ is our treasure.
8: So treasure then I've heard it mentioned that it's wisdom and knowledge and now is the treasure will be Christ in your heart in heaven. So, so can I just are like, you going to be yeah, no. good?
0: Well, yeah, I was just going to like dumb it down real fast. So first of all, you know what Chris says is correct. You know, what does the author actually mean? Well, there's also what Albie said, but if you just think about this, by the way, like if someone is not a believer in Christ and is not a Christian anyway, this conversation means absolutely nothing. Um, but I would say, you know, if we're talking about treasure, just off the top of your head, with a rudimentary kind of Christian understanding, I think you said you were Catholic or went to Catholic school, with a rudimentary understanding, it's like, okay, are we all equally getting treasures, like the treasure of, I don't know, eternal life? That's nothing to scoff at. The treasure of, you know, we're all getting a crown, like this crown for those that go to believers. Are we all getting the same type of, you know, spiritual or heavenly material treasure in that sense, like it's all equal treasure? Just the fact that we're storing up treasures in heaven? Just the fact that we're storing up treasures in darkness. Oh, goodness. Just the fact that we're storing up treasures in heaven, is it all equal, like eternal life, uh, you know, this crown? Or is it uh, disproportionate, like according to, you know, what each person have done? Like uh, I'll be read a little bit earlier. Is it a mix and match of both? Maybe somebody in their heavenly home has an extra golden throne to set on versus someone who has one less golden throne to set on. I know that gets like, you know, it sounds ridiculous quick. But I mean, just a sort of cursory thing. It's like the ultimate point is get to heaven get yourself eternal life today. And then I'm not going to be mad if I have one less like, you know, golden crown on my stand than somebody else. So I, I would say that that is like a, a very dumbed down understanding, but I would say that. So it could be any or all of what we've talked about. <laughs> but the biggest point is who cares what treasure is in heaven. That's like people who say, um you know, like sometimes we'll talk to Hebrew Israelites who will say something like, you know, Jesus says, if you teach others to, to, Um, if you teach the law, then great will your reward will be in heaven. But if you teach others uh, to break the law and to not follow these laws, then they will be called at least in the kingdom of heaven. I'm like, yeah, well, at least they're in the kingdom of heaven. So it's kind of like that, right? It's like, I wouldn't focus so much. And I understand the scholarly, I guess the, the just question about it, but the bigger picture, I don't want to be lost is let's not focus so much on what treasure exactly means in heaven. Let's just focus on getting to heaven. Um, Anyways, that would be my thing.
8: Well, well, as I, I was also that we transferred to Lutheran, so we were, you know, I was raised kind of, I guess, both. <clears throat> but, um, it, it, but as far as you know, I mean, a, a non-believer, it, you know, not meaning it anything. I still find value in these conversations. Um, I want. So, is there like a the way it sounds? There's like some people were have more rewards in heaven. So, is it still like a competitive nature like you're just going to be satisfied not having as much as they're like a more one star heaven as opposed to the four star people in heaven I mean what I don't understand how that yeah,
7: so, so matters not and, about, not, and not, yeah, well, not to about, me, to really me
8: this is like questions I think about it's not as much as it's not meaningless in the sense of like mm-hmm. how many angels fit on the you know head of a pin I, I don't think it's you know that trivial I because I, I heard that a lot the treasure's in heaven, this is what you get. And there is a reward system, per se, the way it's structured. And that's what I'm confused at. Is there like a ghetto version of heaven? Like, you know, hey, at least you're in heaven, but, you know, you're on the streets of uh, Beverly Hills, so it's a better alley. I mean, like, I, I don't quite understand.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, if the, well, I mean, if the ghetto version of heaven is like, you know, streets of like transmuted gold and, you know, everything is like, you know, precious gems and jewels, like, you know, give me ghetto heaven. I'm good there. uh
9: I'll be, Yeah
7: so yeah, yeah so just like there's uh different levels of uh punishment Luke chapter 12 47 and 48 James chapter 3 verse 1 uh, <clears throat> just like uh there's going to be different even uh John 19 verse 11 says the one that handed me over to you is has a greater sin so there's greater sin and then there's also Uh, There is a competition that we ought to all engage in as believers. Our job, if you want to be great in heaven, Jesus makes it very clear. We have to be least here. So whoever is the humblest, whoever is the humblest will be the greatest. So it's all about what true love looks like. And true love is sacrificial. So, and, you know... Try to make sense of that in your worldview. It's going to be hard, you know?
8: Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not attacking worldviews here. This is just a question.
7: Yeah, no, no, it's a good question. It's just... uh
8: But but then you're saying, you know, that it's true love yeah. is complete selflessness, or however you put it. I'm, I'm sorry, so what was that? Did you say something like true, uh, true love is complete selfless, selflessness and that's going to be the highest or something? What was that? Of what
1: you're getting at, uh, greater love had no I, man than to lay down his life for his friend. Well, he yeah, was talking so, about, so, the, well, well, he was talking so, so about the, the, he, he was talking
0: about he who's the greatest hero will be least in heaven, he who's least here will be greatest in heaven, will be called greatest in heaven. That was
7: what he was talking about exactly. So, as a believer, we ought to compete with a matter of fact, <clears> the ESV catches this beautifully, Romans chapter 12, verse 10. It says, compete with one another in showing honor. So my competition with Nate is that I'm going to show Nate more honor, however that's done. And Nate's thinking to himself, man, Alby's beating me right now. You know what? Let me beat him. I got to show him more honor. No, I'm, I'm good. Thank you. Well,
8: that seems kind of like a shallow kind of self-serving consequentialism then to me.
0: Well, remember, though, man looks at the outward appearance. So if you're like, uh, I mean, it's like, you know, one of the things like, oh, I'm so humble. Let me tell you how humble I am. It's like, well, man looks on the outward appearance and God looks at the heart. So it doesn't matter what we think. It matters what God thinks. So if someone is, you know, being extra honor honoring of someone. And, you know, it's like, Haha, I'm getting more rewards in heaven. Ah, ha, ha. I mean, God's a no, judge, no, so he's probably like, so he's probably like, well, nope, nope, nope. Versus someone just general, like genuinely. Uh, Elby, you're, I don't know if you're, you're not on mute. You're making noise. Um, but if someone genuinely is like, oh, yes, you know, I, I am I want to honor this person, you know, because, you know, good Jesus reasons. Then God's like, wow, I see this person, you know, contrite heart, you know, broken spirit. The Lord is close to those. So God's the judge. So it doesn't matter what we think or how we scheme. But ultimately, like there is no greater reward than eternal life and salvation in Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter if someone like has a pile of gold like Scrooge McDuck, McDuck swimming around in it in heaven. I don't care. Um, you know, like th- there's no greater reward than eternal life in Christ. So whatever happens, wonderful.
7: Hey, amen. Like, I don't have a amen. Hold on one second. Working just one second. Working just one second. just one second. Hear me out. The last thing you're going to be thinking about when you're standing in the presence of holiness and you see those scars in which bought you is going to be, what does he have for me? Right. That's the last thing that you're going to sit there and uh, be thinking about. When you're in his presence in all holiness, the only thing you're going to be thinking about is, I can't believe he's staring at me and he's smiling at me. Who am I that I deserve such a great salvation? Matter of fact, it's that even the crowns, even though there's different crowns, Our crowns would even be thrown at his feet, because what did you do to earn this? Even the works that you did would not be possible apart from the Spirit of God working in you and through you for the glory of Jesus Christ.
8: Yeah, but I don't think you could possibly make that call of what someone's going to think, because obviously you maintain your your autonomous mind. No, I can't. I don't think you can.
7: Yes, I, I can because I've seen I've seen I've seen people's reactions in his presence. For example, Isaiah chapter six, verse five, Revelation chapter one, eleven through nineteen, you, you Job chapter Job chapter forty, one through six, Job chapter forty-two, one through four. When you're standing before an all holy God and you come to comprehend and understand who he is. Your only words would be that of Job's, behold, I am vile. That's it. But you don't have, you don't, you're not comparing yourself to an all holy God. You're probably comparing yourself to, you know, whoever you're comparing yourself to in order to justify how you live in this life, which is not the comparison that uh, you're going to be compared to. You're going to be compared to the man, Christ Jesus, as uh, Chris said earlier. And when you're compared to him, you're either going to stand in your own righteousness, or you're going to stand in the righteousness of Christ.
8: <clears throat> yeah, that's just again just quoting scripture, which I understand that's where you're getting this from. But that's not uh, that's not answering the question. This is just kind of working around the question.
0: Well, I think the last thing we'll say before we see I'm
8: it, not well, getting an answer.
0: Well, OK, here's the answer. We don't know. I mean, I think like it, the I don't know. I want to say things like arrogance and hubris. And thank audacity, you. That's the most honest but, answer well, I've
8: gotten from a Christian. In a no, no
0: hey, well, well, hang on. You don't know what I'm going to say. I was going to say those are the thing. I mean, maybe you do. Those are the things that I would describe this whole conversation as um, because that, that's where it's going. It's like someone who, you know, I guess rejects. Correct me if I'm wrong. I just glance at your profile, rejects this idea of God and Jesus and all of it. Um, or thinks that if it is real, we can't possibly understand it. Um, That person who then is having all this conversation about, well, what will it be like? How will we know this? How will we know this? Like things the Bible is relatively silent on. Like Albie just went through a lot of what the Bible does tell us to give us clues. But I just think how, what, (laughs) I don't want to be rude, but pompous, I don't know. Like no nice word comes to describe this conversation. Um, It's just like, like he said, if you're in the presence of a sovereign God, Like try not pooping yourself, like forgetting about what there means by (laughs) rewards, but try not like soiling yourself or like, you know, the song by like, oh, is it mercy me? Like I can only imagine, like regardless of if you're like, ha ha, your God fairy tale songs, (laughs) ha ha ha. But I mean, it talks about, you know, will you be able to stand? Will you like fall on your face as if you're dead? Like all the people in Revelation and when they found, you know, even when they saw angels, like they fell on their face, like they were dead and they had to be told to stand up, not to worship them. So imagine being in the presence of someone who created angels, who people previously fell down as dead in front of. And like, will you be able to speak at all? Um, So those are the kind of things I think we should be more concerned about rather than, you know, what does this actually mean? And like pressing people, like clearly we don't know exactly. We've given you all the biblical evidence, but the biggest thing that the Bible does speak incredibly a lot about is how to get to this heaven place and be reconciled to one's creator. So I would say, I, I don't know where else we can go besides that, except this conversation, while intellectually maybe piques your curiosity um, to know what Christians believe or why we believe it. Um, you're not going to get any of this, you know, on the current trajectory. Um, so I would say you can, you know, ask Jesus yourself when you get there, but you've got to get there. And, you know, it's totally your choice to make. So if you're unwilling or unable to to believe any of this or confess <clears throat> Jesus as Lord or any of that, then that's your choice to make. But um, there, there's really nowhere else. We can go in this conversation um do you want a quick final word before we uh, see what mr has to say
8: um yeah do only thing, anything then and then i will leave the room for everyone else here i'm taking up enough time uh my thing is yeah we're not going to see eye to eye and i don't mean to come across as pompous but from different worldviews, we're going to unfortunately have that sometimes um you know it's you know you're both we're both coming from two different places here but you did say that i thought it was interesting That you read the evidence in the Bible for clues, that's going to leave it open to human interpretation. Now, there might be a right or wrong way, but you can't necessarily say, at least in the state you're in, being a human, that you have the right interpretation.
1: Okay, consider that, though. Right. Well, that's just, just, uh, I mean, you're coming from a a postmodernist worldview and you're attempting to make a critique. The I'm not a postmodernist. We, well, what you just said was classic postmodernism, so you may not label yourself a postmodernist, but what you just said is that you cannot know anything about what somebody has written. That's literally what you just said. And what we're saying is that if you're going to give an internal critique to Christianity, we believe as people who can have an epistemology that understands the written word, that we can know what those interpretations are because we can use all of the tools of hermeneutics to get at those. What you're saying is, no, that's literally impossible. You simply can't know and just give up. And, and well, that's hey, what I just heard. So correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, well, let me well jump in. I think well, you're very on. wrong. Yeah.
0: No. Well, working, let me help you out. So, so I mean, he, he did say uh, clues, right? Because and he says we can't know because he said we, he just heard us read clues in the Bible, right? But I want to be clear what we're talking about we're talking about like, you know, heavenly rewards. So it just says you will get rewards and each one will be given to, you know, what he's done and stuff like that. And then Al being like, you know, read some, some kind of stuff. So if, we're, but it sounded like you were taking it a bridge too far, like, because we don't, we don't know specifically what something will be because the Bible is relatively silent. That in no way means we don't know how to interpret other scripture. Like when Jesus says something that's very, very black and white, it's like, uh, you know, repent and believe and don't die in your sin. And if you want eternal life, you must be born again, ask eternal life, I'll give it freely. So that is something the Bible talks a lot about because that's something that's very, very important in the Bible. So if that's like saying, you know, if the Bible says the streets are going to be paved with gold, and then you say, well, how much gold? How, how much metric tons of gold will be in the streets of heaven? And, and then you say, and then we say, well, we don't know, the Bible is silent. Then you say, oh, so you're saying you're a Christian and you don't know about your own theology. No, that's absurd. Um, that's, that's kind of like what I sense he was talking about because we were just giving kind of some clues in the Bible because it's not a doctrine. Like this is not a salvation issue at all. This isn't even secondary. This isn't a doctrine at all. Like what are the specific rewards and how much reward will someone get? So working, I hope that helps. I hope you're helped to your cause a little bit, but not to go so far as to say Christians don't know how to interpret scripture when it very clearly says, this is what you need to know. This is from God. So yeah, yeah. if you ask a question, that's yeah. super, super out in the cosmos. Yeah, go ahead.
11: Yeah. we're working uh what is the intent of your question about treasures is it just to kind of show uh being that you're an atheist that uh, the, the the scriptures are wrong or is it are you want to know what it for another reason oh no no i personally don't think you know the way i read the bible it's a
8: historical text so i don't think it's wrong and i think it's a product of its time so i don't think it's right or wrong in that sense i mean it, i mean so what's the uh, right what's the end goal of your question my purpose is these are questions that I've never had before. I'm I listen to both sides of an argument and come up with my own decision. I don't just read atheist literature, for example.
11: So, and, so you're honestly, and I don't want to talk evaluated. to just what's that? You're honestly evaluating what it says. Is that what I'm getting? Uh, uh, yes, yes. As a, a
8: historical context, I okay. want to know how it is interpreted
11: okay. by people. You, why people believe what they you? believe where they Can arrive at their sure. Can you ask me the question again? Ask which question? The question you came up here to ask about, was it treasures? that I? Heard oh, okay. oh, yeah. Yeah,
0: we've yes. been on this forever, but yeah, it's what are the treasures
11: specifically in heaven? What is the meaning left of this? When, when you look at 619 in, in its context, I have it here. It says, stop sorting out for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal it rather store for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in to steal now when you read the whole yeah, chapter right i know
8: sorry
11: I, know. I didn't
8: mean to cut you off i just wanted to make sure you knew that i didn't know if you came in after sorry you interrupted
11: no no i know he did i just want to emphasize that when you read the whole thing i can't read it here cuz i don't want to uh, take everybody's time but when you get to the end of this chapter in context it clarifies why some of these things are here they talk about don't worry about the clothing. Don't worry about the food. Don't worry about material things, because the most important thing we should be worried about is spiritual matters and putting the kingdom message first. When we that, do these that, things, yeah, that's it, not
7: that's not the only thing that's being said. You're
11: misinterpreting that. So what's being said there is hold on. I'll, let me let me. I let you finish. Let me finish. You just you correct me afterwards. Let me. Oh wait wait wait.
7: I, I thought that was him talking. I'm sorry.
1: Who
5: is
11: talking?
1: He's, i thought it was working somebody speaking. who's just trying to answer a question we're not interested in going on about this
5: so let's okay okay well but... thank you
8: everyone for your time so and do you guys want... mind
7: if i just read one scripture though real quick you know and in regards to that and i'll let it go in regard i thought that was working speaking i didn't know it was uh he, that, that guy yeah he's i think yeah he's a brother poor guy i'm sorry but here so It's talking about childlike faith, right? When you were a child, you never sat there and worried about what God will, uh, you know, I'm sorry, what your parents are, are they going to provide for you? Are they going to, you know, are you going to have, you know, uh, a roof over your head? Are you going to have clothing to wear? You went to bed soundly as a little child. Have that type of faith with God, a childlike faith, not a childish faith. Revelation 21 verse 1 says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he, the Father, will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death no more sorrow, no more crying, there shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. That's that's what we look forward to, man. That life with Christ, the Father, and with the...
8: Okay. Well, my point was only just to say, it's the very first paragraph, it's the very first sentence in my profile is my concern has always been the human condition and the states of affairs that affect it. And that's, and I think religion is a big part of the human condition. And uh i find value in it and i think some ideologies extremism in any form can be harmful I'm not saying that every religion at that but that's just kind of my goal is just to come back to this room man
7: We're, we'd love to have you again come back to this uh make sure you follow the room man ask a christian come back and ask oh yeah
8: Christians. oh yeah i have i'm actually uh, i think i'm in a i think i'm a member but all right well thank you everyone i won't take up any more your time thanks
0: sure catch you later uh,
8: take care.
0: what's up calvin how you doing what's going on y'all oh it's another day what's on your mind
12: um well the question i got and i was um uh, the brother i got what he was saying when he was saying like the um the interpretation thing i think the issue about because the bible being open to so many different interpretations and you got so many different ones where it's like when you read it, depending on what group or what belief system you're in, it's going to make sense to you. Whether you're if you're a Trinitarian, when someone reads the Bible and explains the Trinity, it's going to make sense to you. Someone who isn't doesn't believe in the Trinity, when someone reads the Bible um, from their belief, it's going to make sense. So I think what the brother was saying was we as humans we don't have a 100% can say 100% i ain't saying like everything in the bible but something the bible it's it's just it's it's open up to different interpretations where there's not just i can't sit here and say well my interpretation is 100% right well correct. there the yeah i mean there were
0: two well there are two issues going on there one is what you're talking about which is you know how how many ways you can interpret like solid scripture where there's like a whole lot of stuff about a whole lot of content, and and that would be where Chris would say there's only I mean there's only one correct interpretation. That's the way the author who the author who wrote it meant it, and that's our job to to understand how the author wrote it. So there there's only you know the only one true interpretation is how the author meant it, and we just have to figure that out. But then the issue that was going on here was because you know there, he was asking a question that the Bible doesn't speak a lot about. So uh, you know, the, uh, that, that was the issue that was going on here. So it was kind of like two issues. One is how to interpret the Bible where there's plenty of content. Well, you have to interpret it as best you can the, the way the author meant it when they wrote it. Um, that's their interpretation. Mm-hmm. So you have to understand the author. But the, what was happening here, yeah, was just a lack of content. It's like saying, well, you know, the streets are going to be paved with gold in heaven. Uh, how much gold? Well, well, we don't know. The Bible doesn't say. So there's no way to interpret that. It just doesn't answer it. Um, so that's what was happening. But what was that your question, or what was your question?
12: Nah, my question is, um, do, do y'all believe where when it says um, Jesus was fully God and fully man? Yep. Okay, mm-hmm. so, because well, I know um, Jesus was saying what he was like, um, the words he speaks, they are spirit. And the uh, things he do that are the father, the words he speaks are the father. How would you discern when he is speaking from a fleshly point of view and when he's speaking from a spiritual point of view?
7: So he's not speaking from his natures. Natures do not speak. Persons do. So even John 6, 63, in which you quoted, the words that I speak to you, right, are spirit and truth, right? That's speaking of what? How you receive salvation. Is through believing in His words, and that context begins with John chapter six thirty-five and on. Does that make sense? So,
12: yeah, I'm going to say John six and what?
7: Well, you quoted John six sixty-three in order to show that you know this, the words that I speak to you are spirit and truth, or spirit and life.
12: Say John six sixty-three.
7: Because believing in those words result in receiving salvation.
12: They say, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life.
7: And we see that the fulfillment of that as we are epistles of Christ under the new covenant, the Messiah's covenant, right? In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3 to 6. We are epistles of Christ by the Spirit. That's the fulfillment. Believing in His Word, you'll be united to Christ um, <clears throat> by the Spirit, justified, given a new heart, new spirit, walking in His Torah, and His laws, and His commandments, and His statutes as we enter into what is called sanctification. Because part of the, don't forget, in order for us to be able to dwell in the presence of God in the age to come would mean that we need that image that was corrupted by our first father, Adam, because now we're given his image, which is Genesis 5 verse 3, Adam's image. This is why the Son of God became the Son of Man to restore man back into to be sons of God. And it was only the Son of God who can restore that image in which we were made in. Uh, restore it back to where we were, and that image would be a reflection of His moral nature, His moral character, and it begins with the inward onto the outward at His. And I, um, I, I
12: definitely, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. Not, I want you to understand. I have a, a Christian background, so um the preaching part and all that like i i definitely in agreement i definitely understand but my answer still is on the table on um, because i know the father spoke through uh, jesus you know the bible says he's in the uh olden times he spoke through the prophets, but in the latter time speaks to his son so i'm trying to and then when i see this scripture without any Interpretation or any, you know,
7: well, the son spoke in the old as well, so even that, um, we need to understand what Hebrews 1 1 and 2 actually means as well because Hebrews 1 1 and 2 means what was true of Yahweh in the old is now his son, everything is son. So if you call upon the name of Yahweh, now you call upon the name of the son, everything is the son, the son, the son. The son is the tent of meeting in which we enter into in order to have access to the father by drinking of that one spirit.
12: Now, like I said, when it comes to these scriptures, it's different interpretations. So I'm not really interested in the interpretation. I'm interested in the answer that I um, asked, like, cause i uh, I'm trying to figure out, okay, how to discern from when the father is speaking and when the flesh is speaking. Because when I'm, when I'm reading the scripture, it's seeming like Jesus is um, saying, well, The flesh is profiting nothing. Okay, let
7: me give you an example of this, Calvin. Can you pull up Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12 and 13? Zechariah 12. I'm sorry, Zechariah 11. Zechariah 11, 12 and 13. I'll give you an example.
12: Okay, and it says, then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. They weighed out as my wages, 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the Lord, the lordly price at which I was priced by them.
7: Wait, how much was Yahweh priced for?
12: You said how much was Yahweh priced for? 30 pieces of silver.
7: 30 pieces of silver? Right. But according to, but who's speaking here? When was Yahweh ever priced for 30 pieces of silver?
12: not sure i get what you're saying but it's still like because how from my from how i see the scripture when the father speaks whether he speaks to an angel a prophet christ or anything he comes as if he's the he's the authority like like say if say if the father was speaking through me and i stopped speaking i'm going to say things where people might think i'm saying i'm the father but i'm not it's just, I mean, you get what I'm saying? So I don't look at when it, when the Old Testament talks about um, what the Father said and did when it's comparison to Jesus. Because
7: well, that wasn't the Father speaking there. Well, let me give you another example of this. Isaiah 34, verse 16. Take a look at Isaiah 34, verse 16.
12: Okay. But the overall point is you're saying the Father didn't speak through...
7: No, I'm not saying the father didn't. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 1, the father's using the prophets of old, using their their lips and speaking through their lips. In Hebrews chapter 2, 12 and 13, in verse 12, Psalm 22, verse 22, it's the son using David's lips right there. And in uh, Hebrews 2, verse 13, that's a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 8, 17 and 18. It's the son using Isaiah's lips. Then you got Isaiah. I'm sorry, then you have, again, Isaiah, uh, Psalm chapter 40, 6 through 8, right? A body you prepare for me. That's Hebrews chapter 10, 5 through 10, the son using David's lips. But then you have the Spirit also, Holy Spirit also speaking. For example, Hebrews chapter 3, 7 to 11, which is quoted in Psalm 95. Uh, <clears throat> Psalm chapter 95, 7 or 8 through uh, 11. And then again, Jeremiah 31, 31 to 35, quoted in Hebrews chapter 10, 15 to 17. But there is the Holy Spirit speaking. So we have all three speaking in the book of Hebrews. But look at this really quick. And I'll end. Isaiah 34, 16.
12: Uh, seek and read from the book of the Lord. Not one of these shall be missed and none shall be without her mate. But the mouth of the Lord has and the Spirit has gathered.
7: Wait, who's speaking here? He
12: who's speaking? To the prophet Isaiah.
7: No, and it's, it's the, not. It's Yahweh speaking, isn't it? I
12: know that, but what I'm saying is, like, literally. Yeah, but it's, we're not
7: talking about that. We're talking about he's quoting Yahweh. Yahweh speaking here, right? In Isaiah 34, 16? Right.
12: That's why I say it. it's the Father speaking.
7: Okay, so hold on. But hold on. But read it again. Read it slowly because you read it fast, buddy. <laughs>
12: I, I I know the scripture book. Okay, so
7: hold on one second. You're not reading it. Let me read it for you. Search from the book of Yahweh and read. Now here's Yahweh speaking. Not one of these shall fail. Not one shall lack her mate, for my mouth has commanded it, and his spirit has gathered them. His being Yahweh, and his spirit also, re- relating to Yahweh. So here's you have Yahweh speaking of his spirit so you have the trinity in one verse the triune god i
12: respect Um, your interpretation but like i said my my question go ahead
7: nate it's all you
0: well calvin i I think i get your question i think let me let me see if i got this right you're you're not talking about any calvin you're not talking about any of this right you're talking about when jesus was a man when jesus was here on earth and jesus was living his living his life here on earth you're saying how do you know during that, during the life of Jesus, when Jesus himself was speaking of his flesh, like Jesus I'm speaking, versus mm-hmm. when, what, the Father spoke through him?
12: Is that your question? Yes, I'm trying to, because when He say, the, Okay. The, uh, uh, okay.
0: Albie, uh, yeah. Th- does that make sense? So he's asking, like, is there a time where Jesus of himself didn't speak, but where, like, the Father directly spoke through him? I, I guess is the
7: question, Can right, Kelvin? I Calvin? Calvin a, a, a quick question. So, so, so really quick. So it would simply be a fulfillment of John chapter 12, 49 and 50. He doesn't speak on his own authority, meaning he never acts apart from uh, the will of the Father and what the Father wants man to know. As a matter of fact, that's even John 15, 15, right? He goes say on this...
12: I got I to put that Yeah like, so I, I so you, his
7: man. role his role as the word as the logos he's also called the wisdom of God if you want to know where he's called the wisdom of God you have to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 24 along with Matthew 23 34 cross reference with Luke 11 49 to show Jesus is called the wisdom of God seeing that he's the wisdom of God and he knows God inside and out he comes as the perfect revelation right of the will of god for humanity and he never speaks apart from the will of the father but always in perfect union relaying that which he what the father wants humanity to know and hear at his glorification in John sixteen thirteen to fifteen, now it's the Spirit that doesn't speak on his own own authority, but he will take of what is Christ and make it known to us, because the way it works is. Hold on.
12: I believe in me. I need you to walk with me. You kind of pulling or you you going ahead of me. Like I'm trying to, cause you, I, I, I'm trying to hear what you're saying, but you're kind of long-winded, like with the, like the preacher part, like you got to. I mean,
7: I mean, not. Calvin, you're asking good questions. They're, they're not like stupid questions. They're in depth, brother. That's why it's hard to answer them so short. So forgive me. Why well, ask me a stupid question and then I'll answer it shortly? But when you ask good questions, it makes it kind of hard. <laughs>
12: Right. No, what you're saying is it's just the preaching part. Like, I I get it. I don't like that part. I I, did not heard all my life. So right now I'm just asking like the reason the reason I'm asking that is because the claims, because I hear a lot of debates on Jesus being God, uh, Jesus being a man. Some people say he's God and man. So I'm trying to get clarified what I'm going to do because. The reason i say i don't want to hear the preacher part because what you're saying i'm not going to agree or disagree i'm going to let the father reveal so i just need the answer to the question that i have everything else is kind of you know it's going to go down a, a whole nother path so right now i want to focus on jesus um being god or jesus not being God, but how i how i see it where i'm at now and correct me if i'm wrong god it's a term or like a title which means something like it's a broad meaning where uh Satan can be called a god in a sense, not saying he's the father, I'm not saying that, but he can be called a god because what the word god means, even um, you have false gods, you have um, where in Psalms to say ye are gods, okay? So when you look where
7: at- in Psalm 82, verse 6, right? Go to Psalm 82, oh, verse
12: okay. 6. Yeah, just let me land and death. no i'm with
7: you you'll you'll see you'll you'll, you'll find your answer right there psalm 82. Okay.
12: i just know with me i lose my train of thought when people cut me off that's why i just ask like and
7: that's one of my imperfections so i apologize you're
12: good, you're good. we all got them just from now yeah so what i was saying is the term the term god um from what i'm i'm, I'm seeing it means a power so you have one true power then you have many powers so it's like an Elohim, um, something like that. So the Father, I, I look at the Father as something above that that term. You feel me? Because it, the the Father, the source, is something that's immaterial, something that you can't fathom, something that you can't even describe or understand. So it's beyond any title, any term that we can come up. Now, nah, but we do see um, the manifestations of that source. We see the Spirit. We see the Word. We see this whole
11: universe we see us we see it's, it's
7: okay awesome. l- l- let me ask you a question because now you're getting into preaching so let me ask you this really quick is is the power of uh, Christ equal to the power of God no the
12: Christ...
7: then why why is Christ called the power and wisdom of God in first Corinthians chapter 1 verse 24 and why does Christ himself, himself say in John chapter 10 27 to 30 that his power is equal to the power of God.
12: Hold on, John, what? John
7: John 10, 27 to
12: 30.
7: All right, let me go to it. Okay, if you're going to go there, then let me read for you. Psalm,
5: because
7: it's going to help you. I don't know, you go there. Psalm 95, 6 to 7, it says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before Yahweh, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice. Now, go ahead. Today, if you will hear his voice, we are the sheep of his hand.
12: Now, what you saying is powerful. No, what go ahead. John 10, not...
7: 27 to 30, bro. You're there, right?
12: Right. I got, but look, look, look. When, when you When you conversate and you got to, like, walk with people, you can't, like, pull them or force them and do all this because you're going to lose them. Like You, you said you're going people.
7: to John 10, 27 to 30, right?
12: OK, you stand. All right. You got it. All right. I'm gonna read it. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given to me is greater than all. and No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I am the father. Always.
7: So and then the result was they wanted to stone him and kill him for making himself equal with God. So notice there is no power comparable to the power of the hand of Christ. And to the hand of the Father, the Father is greater than the Son by virtue of position, not ontological. Which is why Christ says, "I and the Father are one in the Omni attributes, making them co-glorious, co-omni, co-beautiful, and co-glorious."
12: To me, when I'm when I'm reading that, I'm not seeing it. And I I understand why your interpretation, but
7: Okay, well then well then what do you get when it says here, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, what does that say over there for you?
12: Okay, what verse did you just read?
7: You can stay there. I read out of Psalm 95, verse seven and eight.
12: Leave me. All right, John all right, we're on John 10 27. Okay, he says, My sheep. hear my voice and i know them and they follow me okay so what i'm seeing he's saying his sheep they hear his voice they know him and they follow him okay i give them eternal life he gives them eternal life um and they would never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand
7: and my here father, it's a I'll go on
12: my father who has given them to me is greater than all And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one.
7: I and the Father are one in what sense? In keeping the sheep, preserving the sheep, and all the omni-attributes. Because you have to be omniscient to know all your sheep around the world. you got to be present with them, omnipresent, all around the world. And you have to be omnipotent in order to preserve them and keep them all around the world. And here is the psalmist in Psalm 95, verse 7 and 8, saying, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So what is Christ claiming by reading John 10, 27 to 30? He's claiming to be the God and the Yahweh of the psalmist of Psalm 95.
12: When you ask somebody a question, you can't follow it with an answer. You got to let the person, because you're trying to understand where I'm coming from. You, you feel me? So, I, I can give you what I see.
7: Calvin, with all due but, respect, I've known you for eight years. And we've done this year after year after year on Facebook. So, come on, Calvin. Let's not play. No, no,
12: no, out, LB, LB. I haven't been on Facebook in like three, four years. So, the conversations we had was three, four years ago. So... I don't know you. I never met you personally. We only have conversations on Facebook. I had a lot back in the days. I used to debate with everybody. I grew out of that. I'm not the same Calvin you was debating back then. So I don't want you to judge me off past experience or nothing because I'm not going to do that to you. I, we're repeating each other, but that is not who I am. I'm way more humble, and that's why I'm asking the question. So, like I said, okay, well, all, <clears throat>
0: Well, well, hang it real fast. I, I mean, I got to run, so I'm going to drop this on your I'll be good luck. If there's no other good mod, when you got to leave, just shut the room down. But Calvin, the last thing I'd say, because, um, you know, being the most humble kidding that goes back to what we talked hey. about earlier before you were here. But <laughs> I, I would say it, like the, the question was a little misleading. Like when did God use Jesus? Like did God possess Jesus and use his mouth to speak? I don't like the question was a little confusing to me at the beginning. I think we parsed through it now enough to know what you meant, but I would say, you know, Jesus always spoke, uh, you know, He did the will of the Father. He spoke, you know, he says, I only speak what I see the Father, and I only do what the Father, what I see the Father doing. But he used his own lungs. He used his own natural breath. He used his own mouth. Um, But now, if the conversation is shift to, you know, does Jesus say he's God? Then, I mean, the best thing I have is go to Revelation 21, 6 and 7. So if you believe the Bible, then great. If not, call it corruption, do what you want. Um, Maybe check out Islam. Um, Not really. You shouldn't do that, but it's your choice. So Revelation 21. Six says, And to me, he said, hang on, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of water without payment of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage and I will be his God and he will be my
7: son. And that would be the father there. And what Nate is trying to say, sorry, Nate, and what Nate is trying to say that Christ makes those same claims. Uh, throughout, like the Gospel John fourteen verse John four fourteen, I will give her the fountain of life. He claims to be the first and the last, beginning and the end, alpha and omega, in Revelation twenty two verse twelve and thirteen. And there you have the Father claiming to be the alpha and omega, the first and the last, in Revelation twenty one verse five and six. So.
0: Yeah, you have reason. Jesus saying in, like, John, is it like John 9 or somewhere where he says the exact same thing? He's like, I will give the water of yeah, the eternal life John, for free. John like He says 4, the exact 14. same thing. Exactly. All
5: right, good luck, Elby, Have fun. Peace. God bless you, Nate. <laughs> the reason I
12: ask.